there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, if you like Oz, you're gay now. (laughs) (laughs) That's all there is to it, folks. That's the rules. That's the rules. It's accurate, yeah. We don't make them up. Mac is out sit today. Sit. Mac is sitting today? Mac is out sick today. But we already had a guest lined up. So joining us is your friend and mine, Jody Troutman, who is a comics person. She's super great. And she's also another Oz knower about her. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I'm sorry your other co-host got told by Fonzie to go sit on it. <laughs> I'm Jody. I have drawn comics for a really long time, and I have read Oz things for a really long time, and it is quite possible they made me gay. And sometimes you've made comics (laughs) about the Oz things that you read. I have done that for far too many pages, actually, although one of them is not online anymore, (laughs) because it was quite bad. Oh, God. You've got like 20 years of comics on the internet or something ridiculous, don't you? Is it 10? No, I've been making webcomics for... Almost 23 years. That's the one. Yeah, I started in high school. But like the first decade or so was just not online because they were awful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they were online for a long time, which is a personal embarrassment to me, but they're not there now. (laughs) And then you made a decision. (laughs) Yeah, have fun on archive.org. A few of them still exist. (laughs) Honestly, though, like the project that I got to know your comics through was Lipbrick, which is like a personal favorite. That pleases me. I'm not sure I knew that, actually, because we were like, you're a friend of a friend. Right. I didn't know you actually read my things. No, I did. I did. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I know her. Yeah, that's exciting for me. Yeah, Lipric is a project I started after I got my degree in English and found it to be useless. Hey, yo. As you do. Same these. It began in 2010. It ran pretty much daily for like two years, and then I just kind of stopped and now it updates sporadically. Like... I put up one this year, like, every once in a while, I'll just get the urge. But it's like, you go through, like, the Norton Anthology, right? Yeah, so it started as, I'm going to read the entire Norton Anthology of English literature, where if you're not an English major... Yeah, that might sound like a sensible thing to do to you, if you've never seen a Norton Anthology. The title is a reference to it. They're lit bricks. They are bricks of literature. They are, technically, each volume feels larger than an actual brick. (laughs) (laughs) They're enormous. And they're printed on, like, super thin Bible paper, so they can cram as much content into these tomes as possible. Yeah, they're Bibles, yeah. Yeah, and these things are heavy. They're so heavy. You could hurt people with them. You could beat goats to death with a Norton anthology. (laughs) Imagine you're a college student having to drag these things around. Yeah, take that to class. Put it in your backpack. Have fun. (laughs) Yeah, but the crux of the comic was that I'm going to read literally everything ever written and make fun of it, because that's how I do. And I feel like some people think I might be kind of an idiot, because when I draw those comics, they are, like, the stupidest, most, like, surface-level interpretation of any work. But I'm like, no, I'm smart. I'm just making really stupid comics on purpose, because it's funny to me. Which is, you know, really the best way to proceed on the internet, I think. Yeah, why do you need high-minded essays when you could have, like, dick and fart jokes about ancient literature? Exactly. Every once in a while, yeah, I would have diversions into other kinds of literature when old English people bored me. 
Like, initially, I would get suggestions from readers. So, like, the first, like, couple hundred strips, there's a lot of really random, like, single one-shot strips. But then I was just like, I want to do whatever I want. So I did a run of Oz comics. And I know you've been archiving all your stuff. If you have, like, a link to that, I can add those to the show notes later. All the Oz comics are technically collected by themselves as, like, a single comic issue, too, I did once. Perf. I have drawn a comic strip for every Oz book up until probably like i forgot the numbering like maybe the 18th one okay so so well past the initial ones yeah every year now basically i do a new oz strip because of public domain day (laughs) because things are slipping back into the public domain so every year a new ruth Pullman thompson oz book becomes public domain because they publish them every year in the 20s and 30s and this year's was the hungry tiger of oz so that's Still like the latest Librix strip. I drew it in January. Nice. For Public Domain Day. (laughs) So in terms of Oz, going into what our personal encounters with it, like I had friends growing up who really liked all the Oz books, but I never really read them myself until like I was really bored and I was looking for a bunch of stuff to read on my lunch break about like seven or eight years ago. And I started (laughs) going through like my limit was the first six, which was the first six Oz books are all written by L. Frank Baum. That does change later. Those are the first set where L. Frank Baum was like, no, for really reals, this is the last one I'm writing. (laughs) This is it. This is definitely where I'm stopping. Listener, he wrote 14. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't want to. Yeah. He goes really off the rails at a certain point. He writes the first book. He tries to do other stuff. They make him write a second book. They make him write a few more books, after which he's like, fine, I'll just do this and finish it up. Then he takes a break and he writes two books about Trot and Captain Bill, and they fail miserably, even though they're really good. <laughs> and so he just rolls them into Oz. <laughs> and then he writes another Oz book. And then he starts, like, just taking books he wrote for other things and calling them Oz books. Because <laughs> he's like, fuck it, I can make money if I just put the word Oz on things. Yeah, it is wild. Like, I want to get into more of that a little later. This sounds like Arthur Conan Doyle levels of, mm-hmm. like, hating the thing that made you famous. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Bomb wanted to do other things so badly that he would, like, ghostwrite books under different pseudonyms like a boy adventure book under uh, some other name i can't remember i can't remember these names now that's an embarrassment to me personally (laughs) and then he wrote like a fancy girls adventure series called angie's nieces under a girl pseudonym which feels relevant actually (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he was constantly trying to do things that weren't oz and his publishers were like no we like paychecks (laughs) And uh, I guess... (laughs) Yeah, how much exposure do you actually have to Oz, Kit? How much of this is going to be new to you? I think I may have watched the Wizard of Oz movie once a very long time ago when I was a child. And then when I was a teenager, there was a sci-fi original miniseries called Tin Man that I watched Mm. once. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. It it had Zoe Deschanel in it. Boy, it sure does. Oh, boy. That's it. That's all I got. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) It has has so much Zoe Deschanel in it. You know the basics via cultural osmosis, though. Osmosis. Yes, and and, oh, I also watched the Muppet Wizard of Oz. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Not their finest hour. (laughs) Not their finest hour. I won't say it was good. (laughs) (laughs) I did watch it. (laughs) Look, anything with Muppets in it is going to be borderline watchable, but there's like 
standards. There's a bottom end to that one. Yeah. But yeah, I know what happens in The Wizard of Oz on account of it's impossible not to. Okay. Do you know what happens in The Wizard of Oz sequels at all? No. Spectacular. You didn't watch the scary movie. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever manage to catch Return to Oz on television? Did not, no. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Startlingly accurate, except things they added are terrifying. Okay, this is going to be fun. All right, so like, here's the thing. Going back to our premise, where if you like Oz, you're gay now. Like, first off, you know, hi, me and Jody. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Hi. I'm a gay trans lady. Yeah. It's probably because of Oz. We're queer here. Yeah. So here's the thing, like Oz as a thing, like the Wizard of Oz, the like the 1939 movie, it's like it's regularly considered to be one of the greatest movies of all time. They are generally right to say that it's the most seen movie in the history of film, according to the Library of Congress. Disney has never stopped being mad about it being the one that got away. It's deeply saturated in pop culture. There's a whole like phrase to refer to gay people that is a friend of Dorothy because of Oz most likely? It seems like there's some contention for exactly where that phrase comes from. Gay people like Judy Garland. Gay people like Judy Garland. So basically, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you're a friend of Dorothy specifically because you love Judy Garland, but also that exists because of Oz. Yeah. So like Oz in its core is like something that has just been adopted into the queer community, but like that's not actually the gay shit here. No. We're going to talk about Ozma today. Yeah, so... The original Wizard of Oz, I mean, other than being a musical, not technically super gay. No, I mean, it's big, it's bright, it's colorful, but yeah, there's a lot of people that like to read innuendo into it, but on the surface, it's not exactly all that gay. No, the subtext comes later. Yeah. (laughs) Or earlier, as the case may be. And then sometimes it's not actually subtext, it's just regular text. Yeah. Because, like, here's the thing about Oz. The movie's from 1939. It's very old. It's the year of our Lord 2022. But like, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the book it's based on, came out in 1900. That movie adaptation was a good 39 years after the book came out. That's entire generation or two. Like a generation and a half there. If you picture yourself as a person in 1939 watching that movie... It is highly possible you were a child that read like 20 Oz books yeah. before you saw that movie because they were that popular. And they didn't stop. Like Jody was talking about that earlier. They like it came out in 1900 and barring like maybe a couple of years, like maybe three year gap of the most, there were Oz books churning out constantly. It was literally yearly. The only notable gaps are after the first book and then after the sixth book. And then there was an Oz book, like, literally every year until the 50s. (laughs) The thing is that Bomb died. The 13th of the 14th books were actually published posthumously. And, like, then Oz is the estate, I guess, or maybe the publishers designated some, like, canonical authors to follow up. And they kept up that pace. Yeah, the publishers basically picked Ruth Pumley Thompson who was a weird conservative old lady, to continue writing the books, and she was theoretically approved by Baum's widow, but I see very little evidence of that, other than she said, fine, just keep printing them. (laughs) So what I'm imagining here is, okay, a certain subset of our audience, imagine if when you're 40 years old, somebody finally makes a Warrior Cats movie. (laughs) 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 Yes, that's exactly how it feels. Okay. 
And it takes the world by storm eventually once it starts airing on TV. And it revolutionizes film. Yes. <laughs> and then a young child watches that movie on a loop every time they're sick, which is what I did. <laughs> So there's the authorized continuations of the Odd series. There are the Oz books that are not authorized, but continue L. Frank Baum's like canon that he set out or, you know, whatever he sort of loosely followed, depending on the book. Which are frequently good, I want to say. Yeah. And then there are the books that are like, well, what if Oz was edgy? And those are frequently bad, actually. <laughs> But, like, another thing that you have to understand about L. Frank Baum is basically the rate at which this guy was interested in making adaptations, it felt like he was like Walt Disney slightly before the invention of television and movies. This dude loves the stage so much. He was constantly trying to adapt everything in the stage plays. A lot of them were wildly successful, too. Like, The Wizard of Oz was a musical, and it was a it's not great. But I mean, look, it was like 1902. I can't really judge a musical <laughs> from 1902, even though musicals are another thing I'm obsessed with. These were popular things at the time. <laughs> I tried at some point when I was writing up my notes to try and like count how many different Oz adaptations there were and categorize them. And I just gave up at some point and I was just like, a lot. <laughs> there have been movies made from 1908 to 2022, TV adaptations and reimaginings between 1950 and 2017. Most of the major like reimaginings and revamps are between 1939 and 2015. There's so much Oz content. Yeah, a lot of the reimaginings then over the course of especially the late 20th century, are trying to capture the lightning in a bottle of the movie. Yeah. And, like, I love that movie, don't get me wrong, but, like, every time a sequel insists on having, like, ruby slippers or something, I'm like, Oh, yeah. We have drifted further from God's light. <laughs> <laughs> Just go back to the source. There's so much good shit you are not using. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that, like, there is so much of From the Oz books that it feels like every, like, modernization or anything that is pulling solely from the 1939 film, they're just kind of missing the point. And the point is that it needs to be gayer. <laughs> yeah, and they're so close. They're so close. They are constantly so close. One more book and it's the gayest thing you can have. You just need to go from number one to number two. And book two <laughs> is where it, where it kicks off, folks. Although technically the frustrating thing about that is that they made a movie of book two and three and it cut the gay shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I feel like we need to set the stage a little. I want to talk about Oz the Country itself, because you're probably, again, mostly familiar with the 1939 movie. And Oz is weird, y'all. Oz is a square country. It's like a Wyoming. It's a rectangle, yeah. Because it originally did not have a map. He just kind of, like, made it up later. Yeah, originally it was just like, I don't know, it's like someplace out in the Ozarks or something. It's in the United States. It really could have been, yeah, like Tornado Takes Her and Oz. That's the thing about Oz is that it is popular known as a decidedly like Western fairyland. Mm -hmm. Because to many people, even in 1900, the West was still kind of like an unknown, mysterious, fantastical quantity. I mean, if you're white, of course, is the large misnomer there. Okay, well, yes. To his readers, it's a fairy tale, but... You will not find any of the trappings of Europe in it, at least not in the ones that Baum writes. 
Like, you will not find, you know, like, knights in shining armor and shit like that. No, there's, like, suffrage movements? Yeah, there's suffragette movements. Yeah. Because, other fun fact about Bomb that gets brushed under the rug. He has some problematic issues on race, because it was 1900. But he was otherwise really progressive, because he married into a family in which his mother-in-law was, like, one of the foremost, like, women's rights suffragette leaders in the country. And he's sort of like, oh, okay. And like absorbed her teachings by proxy. Yeah, it's not necessarily that any of the Oz books are like allegorical, but he does bring those influences into the writing, you know, as one does. Yeah, I think it's notable that pretty much all of his books feature girl protagonists. And like, he made it a point to be like, they don't actually need to have a romance arc here. Because first off, he was like, I don't think kids actually give a crap about that. But you know. They really don't. No. They do not care if a prince and a princess kiss because they're like eight years old. They're like eight years old. I'm looking at this map and are we sure this isn't just Kansas? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It could have been. It could have been. Dorothy just got real spun around in that tornado and was just still in Kansas. So Oz as a rectangle is broken up into like four triangles with like the Emerald City in the middle. And those are all color coordinated countries, Gillikin country, Quadling country, Munchkin country and Winky country. And you're just going to have to like read those words and say, yeah, okay, why not? Those are real words. Those are real words. Those are actual words. For some reason, Winky Country is the sitting the worst with me. Yeah, same, honestly. Depending on which book you're reading, because he doesn't always do it, but sometimes everything is that color, like the grass or the cows or the trees. Sometimes people just, you know, wear blue a lot, like they're the blue Power Ranger in secret. And also, we're looking at this map, and this is the point in which I have to tell you that it is backwards. (laughs) Excellent. This is an official map, but Munchkins are in the east and Winkies are in the west. The way this happened is that Bomb was giving a presentation about Oz to some people in like 1904. He put his map on a projector screen, but it projected backwards. And then for some reason, he kept the mistake. And so if you look at... I don't know if you can see a compass rose on here, but you will see the east and the west are flip-flopped. Instead of fixing the map... He just ran with it? He just mirrored the compass. Oh my god. Because rules have no meaning. So (laughs) I want you to pretend Winkies are in the West. It makes me mad when they're not. So just pretend that this map is mirrored. (laughs) And does that include everything? Because this is one of the maps that includes not only the deadly desert that surrounds the entirety of the square country, but also like... All of the kingdoms from other books that L. Frank Baum was like, you know what? They just take place in the same universe as Oz. Please buy them. Yeah, this is the continent of Nanestica. It has a name. And yeah, the entire thing is flipped because, yeah, the kingdom of the Gnome King is indeed... That should be to the west? It is to the west of Winky Country. Yeah, you travel there across the Deadly Desert. Okay, cool. This entire thing is mirrored, yes. And it's not always consistent. I believe Bomb himself and even other authors will often say that Winkies are in the west, but no. If you read the first book, it's extremely definitive, which is where. (laughs) So geography is weird in Oz. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of details that just kind of swim around and aren't consistent between books. And the best thing you can do is just be like, it's a TV show. I should really just relax. It really is, because by the time you get to book 40 and there's like a million different kingdoms in the same country and you're like this. Okay. 
<laughs> At the end of the day, it's like, this is a book for eight-year-olds and the eight-year-olds, well, some eight-year-olds are going to be really pedantic about it, but most of them aren't actually going to care about these minute details until they're older. Yeah, they're not going to care that sometimes it takes like a day to walk across the munching country and sometimes it takes a week. It's, you know what? Sometimes it's harder to walk than other days. <laughs> Eventually, Oz is sort of connected to the real world. Sometimes you can just cross the desert and get to like the rest of the world, usually like California or Kansas or Nevada. Maybe you can go to Reno, but like <laughs> eventually it gets all these other countries just kind of like shoved around it. And like at book six, the monarch of Oz just like shuts the borders down and says no more immigrants. Yeah, she's like, we have too many Americans here, so I'm going to make the country invisible. <laughs> I guess that's technically true, except people keep coming. <laughs> yeah, and it's also really interesting because L. Frank Baum has always designated himself as like the historian of Oz, as though Ozma and Dorothy have like sent him like letters about the adventures they've had. He's doing one of those frame narratives. Oz is real. Did you not know that? I did not know. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in the South Pacific. Well, shit. <laughs> well, that explains the Australia thing. Don't break my Oz cafe, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oz is usually like in the movie, you've got the Wizard of Oz, that he is the governing power. But like, while sometimes the Scarecrow is the King of Oz, Oz has had monarchs forever, apparently. Usually the previous ruler is some dude named King Pastoria. Sometimes he dies. Sometimes he's like a fairy. Sometimes it turns out the kings and stuff or whatever. And there was actually a fairy that made all of Oz. And it's Ozma, King Pastoria's daughter, but earlier? Yeah, it gets a little fuzzy. But if you ignore the weird fairy stuff, which I, sometimes you have to do, King Pastoria was Ozma's father. He was, quote unquote, lost. There is a book about it called The Lost King of Oz. Of course there is. The baby Ozma was kidnapped before she could take the throne. Yeah, there's a whole book about it. And then we're getting to that part for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but then early on, it was implied that the wizard had something to do with this. Like he flew in from Omaha. It was like this baby i'm gonna rule this place <laughs> yeah he just he just like wanders in on his balloon and he starts like evilly wringing his hands together like Nyeh. which is like you don't want that from a guy you're supposed to like so. yeah because it turns out people liked him so then like bomb wrote some more backstory to redeem him also yeah revisionist history bomb wrote a ret like basically a retcon that the wizard showed up and the place is already empty and then the people were like hey this dude flew from the sky he could be our ruler which is, like, slightly better because at least he wasn't necessarily at fault for that. Although I guess he could have just told them, hey, I'm just a dude, but... Speaking as someone currently living in the UK, I gotta say I've seen worse ways of selecting your nation's leader. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually he was retconned to be completely innocent. He had no idea the princess was gone. But in the land of Oz, it was definitely like, oh no, he gave a baby to witches. <laughs> 
Okay, okay, okay. So I think we've got the setting in. I want to start going in. I just made notes on the first six books because those are the only ones I'm mostly familiar with. And we can just like go through a bit of the first one and then we'll definitely go into the second one and uh, we'll go from there. No, that makes a lot of sense because ultimately there are a million Oz books, but those like first six are definitely the core of the story he was okay with telling. Because <laughs> that's when he stopped and then had to start again like years later. Yeah. We start out with the wonderful Wizard of Oz. No, it's not a direct allegory. I know you've probably heard some very cool theories, but mostly it's just a children's book with a bunch of weird shit that happens in it. It really is. It's somewhat poorly plotted. It ends, but then continues for several more chapters. Yeah, just to run down the list, like, Dorothy gets wrapped up in the cyclone, like, real quick. There's not, like, a whole first act in there, like you're familiar with in the movie. There's no, like, oh, look at all of these characters that are also going to be in Oz. Maybe it's a dream. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, that was all movie stuff. Yeah. Good movie stuff, but movie stuff. Dorothy's ruby red slippers are silver shoes. The red slippers is mostly just because it's technicolor and red is a more exciting color. They weren't wrong. Yeah, that is a good visual choice. <laughs> I mean, what you have to understand is that so many of these books are, and then they wandered into a new chapter where they met some new bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I think at this point that it's worth noting that the original Wizard of Oz book was effectively bomb writing down stories he was randomly telling to children that would come to his house. Yeah. Which is why they're so disjointed, because they were just like, he was making it up as he went along to entertain babies. Yeah, like, I saw a thing that said that, like, I think his son or grandson said that Baum was the kind of guy who would just sort of sit there and patiently make up an explanation for why the blackbirds baked into a pie survived. Yeah, and he did write a whole Mother Goose book with also that stuff. Spectacular. It's mostly just Dorothy and her friends wandering through a bunch of weird scenarios. Like, you have to understand that there is not really much of a plot here aside from small little encounters and eventually they get to the Emerald City and then they have to leave and then come back and then leave again and then come back and then go home. Because if you've watched only the movie... You do not realize, one, their trip to the Emerald City is increasingly violent. The Tin Woodsman chops the head off of things. Yeah. And two, after the wizard's like, oh no, I don't know how it works, and flies away in his balloon. Yeah, he just leaves the story. That's where the movie ends. And yeah, that's where the story should logically end. But instead, they're just like, yeah, let's just hang out for a while. See how this goes. Yeah, everyone else already got their stuff. The Scarecrow got his brains. The Tin Woodsman got a heart. But they still have to go do things. And so they just sort of like wander off and are like, all right, well, let's go see Glinda, who, by the way, is not the same as the witch from the beginning. That's a totally separate witch. Yeah, that witch is Taddy Poo, who lives in the north. Is, I'm sorry, I need you to repeat that name for me. Mm -hmm. Her name is Taddy Poo, the good witch of the north. Okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> normal names. Normal names like Taddy Poo. Taddy Poo. <laughs> Taddy Poo and Glinda, huh? I yeah. just love saying the name Taddy Poo. Yeah, Taddy Poo and Glinda. And then the other two witches. They're kind of like the blue wizards. You don't know their names. I meet the twins. And Bob. You really don't, actually. And obviously, the Wicked Witch of the West has a name now, but that is technically not canonical. They just go see Glinda, and by the way, they also have a golden cap where the flying monkeys are from. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Wicked Witch of the West in the book 
She has one eye, by the way. She's totally badass. They call her Blinky, I believe, if I recall correctly. Mm. She's Blinky and she lives in Winky. Of course she does. And she enslaved all the people of the Winky country. But then the Golden Cat controls the flying monkeys. Yeah, they're not like her minions. It's basically just a thing where, like, you put on the hat and three times you can ask for, like, a cloud of flying monkeys to come to your aid. It's just one of those sorts of, like, magical items. Yeah, and they're like, ugh, this bullshit again. Okay, fine, what? (laughs) It's like a genie thing. They're not supporters of her. They just literally have to do whatever she says. To the point where, like, Dorothy gets the cap and then, like, she just gives it to Glinda and Glinda's like, all right, well, I'll solve everybody else's problems. Dorothy, you have, like, magic shoes. What are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, she's like, why did you spend another, like, eight chapters of this book walking down here? (laughs) They go on an- You idiot. (laughs) It's not, like, a quick trip. It goes on another series of weird little digressions along the way to Glinda's. Yeah, and then Glinda's like, what the hell? You really could have done this the entire time, you stupid child. (laughs) But, like, Dorothy does just, like, use the shoes to just go back across the desert. She loses the shoes somewhere in the desert. Don't worry about it. But it's not like she just wakes up from a dream. She just returns to Kansas from Oz. Like, it's a real place, and she leaves. And it's funny that he just gets rid of that MacGuffin. He's like, all right, we don't need shoes anymore. They're gone. They're gone. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And they don't come back. They really are lost. Which is wild because there's so many like recurring magic items in there. Oh, yeah. He just has to keep making up more bullshit. Yeah, the shoes are just gone. That's the Wizard of Oz. And we're telling you that so we can tell you about book two, The Marvelous Land of Oz, which is not about Dorothy at all and takes place shortly after she leaves. Yeah, Dorothy's gone. Why would you care? Dorothy's not here anymore. She's back in Kansas. Shut up. We're all about Tip now. Yeah, Tip is a boy. Wink. It's a boy protagonist, (laughs) definitely. It's definitely a boy protagonist who is trapped by a wicked witch, but not one of the wicked witches. She's just... She's just a witch. A witch who is wicked. And she is technically breaking the law by being a witch. It's like being a meth dealer or something. You're just... (laughs) (laughs) She's got powder that brings things to life. It really is, yeah. So Tip is a servant in a crack house, basically, for a witch. Tip has lived here... His whole life, as far as he knows. As far as he can remember, his entire life has been with this witch who he hates. And that sucks. It really sucks. Selling meth. Selling meth. Selling meth. She'll like to like, I have to take this powder up the road to sell it to blah, blah, blah. You're like, she's in a parking lot doing deals. (laughs) So one of the times while she's gone, Tip's like, all right, well, what if I just make life? Yeah, as you do. It's fine. Create sentient life. It's great. So he just basically makes himself a son, just like a scarecrow with a big jack-o'-lantern head named Jack Pumpkinhead. This is his son now. His beautiful son, Jack Pumpkinhead. Yes. This is my son, Jack Pumpkinhead. Not the one that's popular with goths now. Also, my favorite thing about Jack Pumpkinhead is not only is he just a little baby boy who's an idiot, and he's also like nine feet tall, but also like his head keeps rotting, so he needs to make new ones. Eventually, (laughs) you'll find him in later books, and he just has a pumpkin patch for new heads. Yeah, his head is a pumpkin, and- It rots! Being magic did not make it less a pumpkin. (laughs) Yeah. But it is his head. He does need it to be alive. And he can take it off and put on a new one, and it's fine. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Really, please do not worry about it. (laughs) He also brings a sawhorse to life that is the fastest thing in Oz. And it's a sawhorse that also looks like a horse. Yeah, it has like a little face on the end. Coincidentally, 
It goes so fast it'll like wear out its little wooden legs. <laughs> sure does. So eventually you have to plate it. But also digression about body horror. Sure. Because obviously we say it like, oh, Jack Pumpkin's head, his head, it rots. He has to grow new ones and put them back on. It's very similar to what happened to the Tin Woodsman. Yeah. In the movie, they don't talk about why the Tin Woodsman is tin. Oh my God, please, please go on. Okay. Tell the audience about the Tin Woodsman's origins. The Wicked Witch. I believe it was actually the Witch of the East. Yeah, because they find him in Munchkin Country. He's from Munchkin Country. So yeah, the Wicked Witch of the East, the one that Dorothy's house falls on. Before that, she was, you know, being a big bitch to everyone in Munchkin Country. And the Tin Woodsman falls in love with, I believe it's the witch's niece, servant, whatever. But the witch is like, no, you can't have her. She's my servant slash niece slash whatever. And so she enhances the Tin Woodsman's axe. That every time he swings it, it's going to cut off like a hunk of him sometime. Oh, jeez. And it's not like bloody, it's like tearing the arms off a doll or something. Yeah, so like, he'll go out and he'll like chop wood, like, I still love my girlfriend, and then he'll like swing his axe and cut off his leg. And he's like, well, shit. So he goes to a tin smith and Tinsmith gives him a tin leg, which just works because Oz. So he just adds a prosthetic, it's fine, don't worry about it. But then it cuts off the other leg, and so he gets another tin leg. And then he cuts off an arm, and he gets a tin arm. And this keeps going on until he cuts off everything, including his head. <laughs> he just keeps going. At no point does he see a problem here. At no point is he like, look. Hmm, I wonder if it's the axe. Maybe I should try a different axe today. Yeah, I feel like this axe might be bad, but oh well. It's probably fine. Maybe I'm just clumsy. Butterfingers. <laughs> oh, Butterfingers Tin Woodsman. Except he's not Tin Woodsman. He's just Butterfinger Woodsman. Flesh Woodsman. Mm -hmm. That's his name, Flesh Woodsman. <laughs> Flesh Woodsman. So is there like a ship of Theseus thing going on here? Oh boy. Where eventually there are no human components left? Oh boy, is there. And this is in a book that's beyond the six, so I'm okay telling you. So, <laughs> eventually he cuts off everything. The tinsmith makes him a head. And this is when he gets super depressed because it's like, wait, I'm not even a man anymore. I don't have a heart. I can no longer love that girl because love literally comes from hearts. Don't you know? <laughs> Naturally. So wait, he didn't make a tin head for the guy's human torso. He made him <laughs> a tin head for also a tin torso? Yeah, you'd think he would have just made a Frankenstein. I feel like the tinsmith at that point was just being forward thinking. He was because the tinsmith did in fact make a Frankenstein. <laughs> Wait, with all the parts from the okay. from the flesh woodsman? With the parts from the flesh woodsman and from a flesh soldier who also loved the girl and whose sword was enchanted to hack him apart. What? How often does this happen? Uh, apparently twice. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice, right? So the tinsmith also made a tin soldier after a dude cut himself up. And then he used the Flesh Woodsman and the Flesh Soldier pieces to make a Frankenstein with the Flesh Soldier's head. The ultimate lover for this one munchkin girl. Yes. And then the Tinsmith gave this Frankenstein to that girl and they lived happily ever after. No, really? Oh, yeah. No, that's not a joke. <laughs> oh, my God. The Flesh Woodsman's head is still just laying around. And eventually, the Tin Woodsman finds his old head in, like, a cabinet. <laughs> and the head is a dick. So are they still both the same woodsman? Yeah. So <laughs> figure that one out. This feels complicated. <laughs> yeah. So technically, the Tin Woodsman is a clone of the original woodsman, in a sense. 
Because the original woodman's head and brain and mouth still exists because he talks. Okay, okay, so what you're telling me is that basically that just L. Frank Baum did a ship of Theseus, yes. but he decided to answer it and say, no, they're both the woodsmen. Yeah, basically. They're both the same person, but one's a dick now because he's just a head. <laughs> they're the same, except one's an asshole. Next question. Yeah. What's the sound of one hand clapping? I bet I can do that one too. This is a very important note about Oz itself, this whole story, is that you literally cannot die in Oz. Yeah. Which is... Technically horrific. I mean, we're seeing the consequences of that. It's bad. His head got (laughs) chopped off, and it was still just a dude, but only a head. Like, that's how it works. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. We're circling back from body horror to the Land of Oz. Okay, that's an incredible digression. I'm delighted by that. But circling back to Marvel's Land of Oz. The Scarecrow and the Tin Man do show up here, by the way. They do. Mostly just, like, deposed rulers slash the Tin Man's taking a break from ruling Winky Country. Yeah, the Tin Woodsman, he's technically the one that killed the Wicked Witch of the West, and so the Winkies declare him their new ruler, and they build him a big old tin castle, and now he's on vacation. It wasn't just, like, water being thrown on the witch or anything. He did chop her head off or something, right? I believe so, yeah. I mean, the water's still there, but, like, no, the Winkies see him as, like, oh, no, you saved us from the witch, you can rule us now. And it's yeah. very convenient because the- did, did you say they made him a tin castle? Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. Does that not feel rude, considering what we just learned? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's also a flesh castle in the Munchkin country. But- <laughs> Please do not take that one as serious. It's a joke. (laughs) Oh, no. Coincidentally, no. The Winkies are known as expert tinsmiths, specifically. So they're like, oh, this guy's our god. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a golden calf situation, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't have to rule them. (laughs) They're worshipping like a walking tin man, the very manifestation of all of their crafts. Okay, but I mean, I feel like he doesn't do a whole lot of ruling, though. (laughs) It's true. He mostly just kind of leaves to go on adventures with his, like, husband, the Scarecrow. Yeah, they kind of police themselves. Yeah. And yeah, he goes off to have adventures with his husband, the Scarecrow, because they're starting now. They are, boy, they're real gay. (laughs) They are best friends. They're just bros, you know? They're just bros. (laughs) They're just pals. They're just old friends. They're just Pals that profess their love to each other with increasing frequency and hug and cry a lot. They're just buddies. <laughs> just buddies. Just guys being guys. So Guys being dudes. <laughs> speaking of these bros, the book is mostly centered around, like, Tip wandering around. He eventually picks up the Scarecrow and the Tin Man. He's got Jab Pumpkinhead. There's also maybe the character that I hate the most in all the world, which is the Wogglebug. God, I hate that bug. I hate that bug. Who is highly magnified and thoroughly educated. He's a know-it-all asshole who doesn't actually know shit. God, I hate that man so much. <laughs> and he's an enormous insect. He's the worst. I hate him so much. But yeah, they pick up the Scarecrow, not just in a little venture, they pick up the Scarecrow in the Emerald City where the wizard, I guess, left him nominally in charge of the entire kingdom, <laughs> country, world. <laughs> yeah, they just put a little crown on his head filled with bran and needles. Because effectively they're like, oh, the Scarecrow is the smartest person in Oz. He should be the ruler, which I guess is technically great, but... The Scarecrow is also not actually smart. He's not really a philosopher king, as it were. No. (laughs) And at some point, there's a woman named Ginger who is like, hey, this is bullshit, right? I think I should be in charge. Yeah, this is where the suffragettes enter the arena, which is good and bad. 
<laughs> yeah. So what you have is early 20th century feminism through the lens of a dude who also really likes stage plays and thinks, huh, this could be a really good spot for a whole bunch of chorus girls. <laughs> yeah. So you get a girl army. Ginger raises a girl army because they're tired of being charged and they want the men to do all the chores. They're tired of like knitting shit and making dinner. They are armed with knitting needles. Right. That is how they take over the capital. Look, Oz doesn't have a lot of weapons. So if you have something that's super pointy, it's scary. Yeah, but nobody can die. So if someone's coming at me with a knitting needle, my response is going to be, oh yeah, or what? I mean, it's still going (laughs) to hurt a lot. (laughs) Maybe they very slowly decapitate you with that needle. (laughs) Do you want to experience that and then just be ahead and then have your body also technically be alive? Knitting needles do have blunted edges, so it's a real force thing. Look, anyway, some of them girls are mean and scrappy and I would not trust them. So get out of their way. (laughs) This is also one of the points where like Elfring Bomb starts going back and forth on exactly what color the Emerald City is. Because like in the first one, everybody is required to wear goggles that have green lenses on them. So everything looks you know, green. Oh yeah, it's fake. It's fake. It's fake. It's it's another one of the wizard's ruses. Yeah, he's a flimflammer. He's a he's a humbug. He's a humbug wizard. But in the same way, like a stage magician can do like cool shit. The wizard's like, well, <laughs> it's like if Neil Patrick Harris landed somewhere and wanted to fool people into thinking he was a king <laughs> <laughs> and steal a child and steal a child. <laughs> Challenge accepted. But yeah, starting now, people start wearing the goggles less. And the city is more emeraldy sometimes. Yeah, so basically in this one, it's established that they still have to wear goggles to see everything is green. But there are also emeralds like embedded in the walls. Which is fine. Yeah, and the girl army is like, oh shit, we're rich now. They start like carving them out of the walls. This is one of the books where they have a concept of, like, an economy. I can't remember, like, I feel like actually they just thought they were pretty because they're girls. Yeah, I remember them prying them out of the walls. Yeah, they're girls. Yeah, because they're girls. They like pretty things. It is unfortunate in that this rampaging girl army also falls into several poor girl stereotypes. Yeah. You know, it's a nice effort. You know what? A solid, like, C+. (laughs) Yeah. No one else was trying. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't fail, but you didn't do great. Yeah. No. But you know what? He will do great. Give him a few chapters. <laughs> yeah, because here's the point where Tip, who has been slowly going to the Emerald City, because I forget, with all of his pals, he's been wandering around Oz, and finally he gets to the Emerald City, where Glinda is also marching up with an army to take the city back from Ginger. And that is also the point where, as I recall, she basically looks at Tip and she's like, you a real boy? <laughs> Are you a boy? People ask me that so often. Are you a boy? <laughs> <laughs> she just looks at Tip and clocks him. Yeah, it's also important to note, Glenda is coming with an army that is also girls, <laughs> but they're like badass soldier girls instead. <laughs> you know, Oz has a standing army. It's ladies. How's it going? Yeah, and ultimately, this is all because doing magic in Oz is technically a crime. Unless you have a license, and only the good witches have a license. Mombi was doing illegal meth crime. She was! Yes. She was a criminal. <laughs> and so, 
Glenda's like, okay, we're gonna take care of this weird other girl army, but also I'm pretty sure Mombi is dealing speed behind the castle, so we should deal with that too. Yeah, because Mombi eventually like goes home to realize the tip is gone. She's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh shit, oh oh no. It's a combination of oh no, they're definitely gonna find out what I did that the Wizard of Oz definitely didn't do later. <laughs> <laughs> But also, he took the powder of life, and that is the only powder of life that exists. So she needs it back before he wastes it all. You know, making living pumpkin sons. Oh, we didn't talk about the homunculus that is the gump. Oh my god, yeah, okay, okay, so, okay, so, so at some point, Tip and his pals need to escape somewhere, and what they do, they're like, hold up in, I think, the palace in the Emerald City. Yeah, they're holed up with the Scarecrow, who is abdicating his throne because he's scared of the girls. Right, and so they look around, see a bunch of junk, and they say, get some ropes, start tying things together, we're going to make something that wants to die. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make an abomination of nature, y'all. <laughs> They find a mounted moose head, I think. Yeah, it's a moose head. Yeah, they find a moose head. They face two couches together and strap them so it makes like a little like cushion square. They get some palm fronds. Those turn into wings and they mount the moose head on and then they bring it to life and it wants to die. <laughs> this is the gump. Because it's couches and a head. <laughs> it knows it's couches and a head. And now it has a body. It knows what it is to be a moose. And this is not a moose. This is the gump. It flies. It's a real why do I exist scenario. <laughs> <laughs> so it just becomes conscious and immediately starts screaming. Yes. yes. But on the plus side, technically Tip invented the airplane. <laughs> Because they all just sit on the couches and it flies to the point where it flies them so far out of their way, they actually get into, like, Nebraska. Oh, uh, yeah, no, they accidentally leave Oz and they end up in, like, a nest of jackdaws. Yeah. <laughs> and in the nest of jackdaws, they find wishing pills because that's whatever. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something I'd come up with if I'd written myself into a corner. <laughs> We're really nowhere now in this story. Anyway, they used the wishing pills to go back to us. <laughs> yeah, that's how we got out of that one. So is L. Frank Baum like one of those writers who's like a programmer who doesn't use backspace? <laughs> yes, actually. Okay. More or less, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are revisions somewhere in like some archive, like your handwritten notes, blah, 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 blah. But nah, he was he was making this shit up as he went along and did not care. It's to the point where you're shocked that this wasn't like a monthly installment in like a newspaper somewhere where he couldn't go back. Yeah. And it's like where, you know how with Lord of the Rings, like Christopher Tolkien will publish like, here are the first seven attempts my father made at writing Lord of the Rings. Like, Bomb doesn't have that. It was 1900. <laughs> but it's also important, especially Land of Oz increasingly suffers. It feels episodic because it is. Because it also, you know, had, he was eyeing the stage. The thing that boggles me about that is that he was so certain what the main character and everybody's new favorite character was going to be, that one of his initial adaptations of the Marvelous Land of Oz for the stage was called the Wogglebug. He thought the Wogglebug was going to be a big hit. <laughs> The Wogglebug would be one of those reply guys who, like, says me thinks. <laughs> no, the Wogglebug is like, 
Elfric Bomb is sitting around and he's like, the Wogglebug, this is going to be a huge hit. And then like the Ron Howard voice is like, he wasn't. No, quite the opposite. But yeah, it's very episodic because he wanted showpieces for his stage productions later. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so the gump. Glenda's here. Oh, uh, yeah. Glenda's come. We're outside the Emerald City. We've got an army happening. Mobby's wandering around somewhere, uh, like behind the city. The gump is here. The gump wants to die. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> and all of this comes back around to the army being defeated and then Glinda being like, tip, huh? <laughs> that's a choice. Tip. <laughs> that's, what you're, that's what you're going with? Buddy! Little on the nose. Just on the tip. Just on the tip of the nose. Tip. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, pal, we should talk. <laughs> because it turns out, tip wasn't always tip. Nope. There was a missing princess in Oz. <laughs> mm, yeah. Kidnap baby. Kidnap baby in this book, it is that the wizard was like, I need to throw out this baby so I can be king forever. Yeah, not great. Not great. <laughs> so he gives the baby to an illegal witch. Yeah. Who makes meth. Drops the baby off with like Oz's Walter White in their weird RV. <laughs> and he's just like, hide this baby. Do not let this baby be in charge of anything. And mommy's like, great, because now magic can be legal. It's basically like the wizard takes control and the purge happens. <laughs> <laughs> And so Mombi uses her magic to turn this princess into a little boy. A little bit of, yeah. Calls Tip. Mm -hmm. Tip grows up. And then Glinda's like, I think we should talk about something. <laughs> Guess what? Guess what? You're a girl. <laughs> and what ends up following is actually like a really interesting chapter where Tip's like, oh, Oh! <laughs> Things make sense now. <laughs> and Glinda's like, I can turn you back. I can turn you into a girl if you want. Give it some thought. And Tip actually, like, kind of thinks about it. He talks about it with the friends, and they're all like, You're gonna be the same person. That doesn't actually matter to us. We like you. He has a great support network, Tip. Yeah. <laughs> Wogglebug notwithstanding. Wogglebug notwithstanding. <laughs> Nor the gum, who just wants to die. <laughs> I feel like because the Wogglebug learned in like a 19th century schoolhouse that he would be like weirdly into eugenics or something. <laughs> and be like, no, this is bullshit. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then Tip is like, okay, all right, let's do it. And Tip becomes... Ozma, princess of Oz, and she's like, huh. I mean, can I still be a little bit of a tomboy sometimes? Like, like, can I still do, like, mass things? And she's like, yeah, whatever. You're like the princess. You're like, you rule the country now. Who cares? You can literally do whatever you want. You can literally do whatever you want. You are the highest superpower in this magical country where no one can die. You can wear the prettiest dresses, but also do all the bullshit you still like to do. You're the same person. You're just actually a girl. You're just a girl is all. And this would have been 1901, 1902? 1903. And that's the point where Oz is now and forevermore ruled by a trans princess. Yeah. <laughs> they have a trans princess. Yeah. Which is meaningful to many people. <laughs> but like, it's never commented on as being odd or strange. 
It's like a very matter-of-fact thing in that world. And people will be like, yeah, Ozma used to be called Tip and like, you know, lived as a boy for a while. This is our princess. This is our princess. She's great. Except she's actually a really bad princess, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> she's not exactly great. Her being a bad princess has no bearing on her being trans or vice versa. Yes. <laughs> those are two independent things. <laughs> Diversity win. This trans princess can be really bad as a governing body. <laughs> Diversity win. Monarchy still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Look, sometimes just being diverse isn't enough. I've seen lots <laughs> of really bad queer media. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, Trans Princess for the entire series never goes away. It's always just part of her backstory. And then like subsequent books, she just starts getting gayer. She just gets gayer and gayer. But like she still stays friends with her bros. Like she lets Jack Pumpkinhead have that cool pumpkin house with his pumpkin patch. Her son. Yeah, her son. <laughs> Jack Pumpkinhead. She does grant the gump death. <laughs> she grants the gump death. Well, she takes the gump's head off the thing. <laughs> the gump becomes the only creature in Oz that's allowed to die. <laughs> the gump head stays alive, but they like take the whole thing apart and just hang his head back up. He no longer feels phantom limbs where he is now a couch and some palm fronds. Yeah, so he's like, fine, I'll be a talking head, but at least I don't have to be a weird flying couch. <laughs> and she like, it says she shods the sawhorse's feet with gold so that they won't run down anymore, but gold is really malleable. That's a bad idea. It's like magic gold. Yeah, in terms of like material used for horseshoes, gold is a bad one. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> it's maybe one of the worst, actually. But it's important to note that now that she's a princess, Ozma is all about the bling. So it doesn't matter if gold is awful. It just looks cool. You know, she's like kind of a supreme being. So she can just say the gold works and it'll work. You really can. Now, Ozma rules everything. And the law is firmly in place that no one is allowed to do magic except for Glinda and Taddy Poo. <laughs> I guess <laughs> she's still up there somewhere. And Ozma is also allowed to do magic. Only people. They have permits. Taddy Poo just gets worse when you put it right next to Glinda like that. I know, right? Look, we can't judge the- Ozma. We can't judge the naming conventions. Glinda. Of other countries. Taddy Poo. Maybe it's a very dignified name in Ozite. Yeah, and like Glinda's the one that sounds awful. Like, ugh. Yeah. Glinda? Who named you that? So that's our second book. That is what is going to set the stage for the rest of the Oz series. What we do for the next couple of books is people are like, okay, so that's Ozma. That was Tip. And uh, now what? And so Bomb's like, Dorothy again. <laughs> there was a clamoring. Imagine like early 20th century nerds that are like, but what happened to Dorothy? Yeah, he got a lot of letters. And he's like, she left. <laughs> her story is over but they won't shut up Ugh. so <laughs> he caves to 20th century reddit and is like fine so he makes Ozma of Oz a book that is about Dorothy ostensibly yes that'll happen a lot that'll happen a lot so what happens to Dorothy in book three is that first off she's on a ship going to Australia because Uncle Henry's sick yeah what's the A to B on that <laughs> 
look, it's like 1905. I think the logic is that like, it was still like, oh, you're sick. Go to another country because the air is better. Like, you know how people were building like tuberculosis huts and caves because they didn't know what the hell air was doing? This is just the more expensive version of that. Man from Kansas, go to Australia. And also, this is the part where it's like, wait, they're impoverished Kansas farmers. How are they even doing this? But you know, it's fine. Dorothy's going to Australia. She's got a new friend because Toto didn't come along. This one's a chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's a chicken named Belinda. She sucks. <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of a bitch. She's kind of a bitch. But in her defense, she is a chicken. Belina is a chicken that is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> There's a storm. Dorothy gets tossed overboard. And when she wakes up, she is on the shore. And what she eventually discovers is a different country called the Land of Ev. Yes. This is important. note. This is how we know where Oz physically is. Because they are traveling from... America to Australia. Once Dorothy gets swept out of a boat, she washes up on Ev, which means it can't be that far from their route. You know, it's just off the major transit routes in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, weirdly, no one else has run aground in this giant cotton, but nonetheless. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is the book where you get a lot of the visuals that will eventually make its way into Return to Oz, the movie which we'll get to later. Yes, this is primarily the source of Return to Oz, other than them jacking the gum part. Right. So you've got the wheelies, who are these horrible men who are like motorcycle hooligans, but their wheels are their hams. Yep. You've got... Princess Languideer, who just sort of has a whole shelf full of heads that she just takes on and off, depending on what her mood is for the day. Mm, don't care for it. Yeah, some of the heads are nice, some of the heads are bitches, mm -hmm. but they're still all her. <laughs> Dorothy wanders around with a mechanical man named TikTok. Yeah, she finds him in a cave. Yeah, as you do. Because TikTok is a robot man. According to many sources, the original robot man. Yeah, he might actually be one of literature's first robots. Yeah, you have to wind him up, and you have to wind him up in three different places, because you have to wind up his brain and his, like, limbs, like, to move. Yeah. Does he have another? I swear he had three keys. Whatever, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> the important thing to know is that this was never a flesh person. This is just a robot from the ground up. It's fine. They just made a robot. His creators were great inventors who eventually sealed him up in this cave. Before they did that, they wanted to go to the moon, while Jules Verne is like, no, people shoot themselves to the moon with a giant bullet. These guys are like, what if we just build a ladder that's so tall that it hits the moon? I've read that absurdist fiction. Yeah, so TikTok's inventors built a ladder that goes to the moon, they climb to the moon, they pull the ladder back with them, so that- <laughs> So they just leave. <laughs> they f fully f off from Oz. <laughs> they just left. <laughs> just f off from the moon. We're tired of Earth and its people. We're building a ladder to the moon and never coming back. <laughs> we're going to build a ladder to the moon and then we're going to pull the ladder up behind us. You can all f off. Yeah, we are really done with this. <laughs> Holy shit, goals. All right, so yeah, she finds TikTok in a cave and they go on a merry adventure. <laughs> Yeah, they just have some fun encountering women with, like, swappable heads. Eventually, Ozma and her retinue show up. <laughs> yeah. They are crossing the deadly desert. There's a whole procession. She's got a chariot. It is pulled by the cowardly lion and a new character called the hungry tiger. 
Mm. That's his whole shtick. He's hungry. He wants to eat babies, but he can't because he has a conscience. And he's sad about that. He's real bummed. He's really depressed that he can't eat babies. Fat babies. Literally, he talks about it. He explains it in great detail. He is literally starving. (laughs) He just wants to eat sentient creatures. Like, why? He wants sapience. It's the delicious spice. There's a little angel on his shoulder that's like, no, you can't eat babies. (laughs) And he's like, (laughs) So he will not consider any alternatives on the whole eating babies front. Nope, just once. (laughs) He literally only wants babies. It doesn't have to be a human baby. Sometimes he wants to eat like pig babies. And so Ozma has rounded up this gang along with a whole bunch of soldiers because she is here to take on a guy who lives in Ev called the Gnome King, and that is N-O-M-E. But yeah, it's like the mythological, like classical gnome. Like, he's like an earth creature, lives underground. Ozma's here to take on the Gnome King because the Gnome King, like, uh, captured the royal family of Ev and turned them into junk. Knickknacks. Like knickknacks? Yeah. (laughs) Can I loop back for a second to the desert? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we glossed over a very important part of the desert. That's true. The Deadly Desert. Yeah, it's called the Deadly Desert, or the Impassable Desert, or the Shifting Sands, or the Great Sandy Waste. Either way, if you touch it, you explode and die. (laughs) (laughs) The explosion part is important. It is considered toxic. It is literally deadly. If any organic life touches it, they're just dead dead. Yeah. And this is surrounding the magical fairyland of Oz. (laughs) So it's, you know... You can never leave. You literally can't leave. Don't forget. Don't forget, says Ozma, putting up a nice little poster, like looking at all of her immortal subjects. Don't forget, you're here forever. There is a big like sign (laughs) at the edge of every desert that's like, hey, please don't walk on the desert. You'll die. (laughs) You will die immediately. So she had to cross on like a magic carpet. But, like, not a flying magic carpet, just a magic carpet you can walk on. It's like a red carpet that just keeps rolling and unrolling as they go. That sounds slow. (laughs) It might just be a regular carpet, because I think as long as you're not, you know, a living flesh thing, it's fine. Yeah, just let's rules lawyer the desert real quick. (laughs) So it's like, wait, if I'm walking in, like, sneakers... With, like, rubber soles. Can I just walk across the desert? Is that fine? (laughs) It's, like, real... mm. How did they test whether the carpet was going to work? How many people did they kill (laughs) testing this? They went through, like, (laughs) seven carpets. (laughs) (laughs) And also, it's important to note that Ozma's retinue, which includes an army. It's a bad army. It is made up of all privates, except for one major, because no one wants to be in charge. Oh, God. And because Oz doesn't need an army. (laughs) Yeah, they just banded the girls' army and Glinda's personal army. Yeah, Glinda's like, you can't have the girls on my army. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're busy that day. (laughs) So Ozma just raised her own army. Yeah. They went to the land of the Gnome King, which is ostensibly also in Ev, even though it's separated on the map. Because, yeah, he kidnapped the royal family. The Gnome King becomes like a bigger deal later, so he gets his own country. Pretty much. It's important to note, his country is almost all underground. Yeah. So when they say it's like the dominion of the Gnome King, like, topside, I'm pretty sure it's still technically Ev. 
So they're trying to get this royal family back. And the Gnome King, because it's this kind of book, is like, okay, you will go into my garage full of knickknacks and guess which one of these is a person. And if you guess wrong, I also turn you into a knickknack. Yeah. So it's like if I went to your garage and I grabbed a hammer and I was like, Ev? <laughs> is this a <laughs> this one? <laughs> So they all have to go in one at a time. All of these privates go in. They're all bad at it. Eventually, this bitchy chicken that Dorothy's been carting around this whole book takes a nap and then wakes up to hear the Gnome King explain to someone what the trick of it is. And she also finds out that the Gnome King is afraid of, like, eggs or ovals or something. It's specifically eggs. That's why she can win. (laughs) He's terrified of eggs. It's not even that it's like a phobia. Egg yolk is like toxic to gnomes. Why? Uh, biology is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, that's just how they evolved, I guess. <laughs> and so the chicken explains what the trick is. Dorothy's the one who goes in and, like, finds every single person who has been turned into a knickknack, uh, wanders through the Gnome King's, like, just stuffed garage full of crap, and eventually brings back everybody. And then the chicken lays an egg, and that's how they defeat the Gnome King. Notably, everyone except the Tin Woodsman. Oh, yeah. He's not in- is he- Which is a weird plot point. <laughs> yeah, he's not in this one, is he? No, he is. Is he? He gets transformed, and they can't find him. And so they're like, defeat the Gnome King, and they're fucking depressed. <laughs> oh, shit. So is he just gone now? On the way home- they discovered that, like, a tin whistle they jacked from the Gnome King's garage is actually the Tin Woodsman. He was the only one that did not get transformed into, like, Emerald, for reasons. Well, he's tin. He's a tin man. I guess because he was already an inorganic thing. <laughs> so they all go back to Oz together. That's where you finally get Ozma of Oz. Yeah. They have a party. They always have a party. (laughs) Every single book at this point ends with a big party. Like, a good quarter of the book is just a party. To be fair, I understand. Every time I get home (laughs) from something, I'm like, we should celebrate. Let's get drunk. They don't get drunk, but they should. Dorothy is made co-princess of Oz because Ozma and Dorothy immediately bond. And Ozma's like, do you want to be co-princesses with me? Do you want to? Because, I mean, it just means you have to, like, hold hands with me and, and come to my parties mm-hmm. and uh, sit next to me and uh, braid my hair and, <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're just co-princesses. They're just co-princesses, as you do. Just gals being pals. Just gals. Just pals. Yeah. Ozma sends Dorothy back to Australia or the boat. It's, it's vague. She just goes back to her Uncle Henry. Because, you know, he's sick and needs to go to Australia. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Memo to Lucas. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> Lucas, if I have a cold, should I get on a plane? Did it help you at all? <laughs> To leave Canada and go to Australia. Like, physically. Do you feel better? (laughs) That's just the end of that book. At some point, they make a deal where, like, Ozma is going to just, like, keep looking at Dorothy every single day in her (laughs) magic mirror thing, her magic picture that can see whatever. This totally normal thing. (laughs) Here's the part of her day where she just goes and sees what Dorothy's doing and just, you know, watches her. Totally normal. 
thinks about her. People knock on her door. She screams back, it's my Dorothy looking time. <laughs> and the deal they have is that at a particular time when Dorothy knows that Oz was watching, if she makes a secret sign, Ozma will use magic to bring Dorothy to Oz. So they're just like, you know, anytime you, you just want to come back, you just you, you just let me know. I'll just be, you know, around. This is an important tool that will help us later. <laughs> and that's the book. And then we move on to Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Yeah, and we're glossing over it, but that was like arguably the best book. Yeah. <laughs> like if you actually read it. Yeah, I think that one was probably my favorite out of the original six. Yeah. And then we have Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, which is not really in Oz, except for the very end when they have a party. Dorothy and the Wizard, yeah, vaguely outside of Oz. It takes place a lot of it in what I shit you not is the land of Mongaboos. <laughs> that sounds like a racist epithet for a race that doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, surprisingly, it's not about a bunch of people who really like Japanese culture to a stupid amount, but mostly read comic <laughs> books. It's about vegetables. Dorothy is on a train to San Francisco, which in retrospect, also kind of gay. Now, presumably <laughs> at some point she came back from Australia. Yeah. yeah. She's visiting family or she's actually with Uncle Henry? No, Uncle Henry's not there. She is ostensibly just visiting family in San Francisco. She gets off a train. She gets picked up by a cousin named Zeb who has a horse and a buggy. The horse is named Jim. He wants to steal. Jim is a good horse. And Dorothy also gets a kitten in this one because she looked at the chicken and she was like, nah, <laughs> that chicken's a bitch. Mostly because the chicken was like, I don't want to go back to a place where people will eat me. I want to live forever. <laughs> yeah, they get caught in an earthquake because it's San Francisco. Naturally. Wait, what year did this come out? That's where we're going. <laughs> oh no this came out in 1908 the earthquake that rocked san francisco and killed a million people was in 1906 <laughs> so bob's like rip from the headlines so the modern equivalent is if you start your fantasy book with oh 9-11 happens yeah. yeah so dorothy falls into 9-11 <laughs> which is now an underground fairyland and also a horrible man is here yeah it's fine so yeah, Dorothy falls in a hole from the great earthquake that almost leveled San Francisco, and she lands into a country full of dickweed vegetable people who are disgusted by her flesh. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're like, why do you have blood? You should have chlorophyll. Oh my god, you can't just ask someone why they have blood. <laughs> but the wizard comes. Yeah, the wizard is here with his balloon underground, I guess. He was landing, and he fell down the same hole, but in his balloon. <laughs> How long was he on the balloon? <laughs> Years, apparently. No, he went back to Omaha, and was being a circus man again. And that's why he was again in his circus balloon. But now he's gotten to this shit. But now he fell into this shit, coincidentally, with Dorothy. And this is the part where, like... He is one of the traveling companions for Dorothy in this book. And they're just like, I don't know, like, people liked the wizard. So now he didn't kidnap a child. Yeah, this is when you get to the part where, I mean, they kind of save it for the end when he gets like sort of a comeuppance from Glenda. And At some point, they get back to Oz and he will have to answer for his crimes. <laughs> he will have to answer for his crimes. But then they're like, ah, you're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so charming. He really is. That's the whole thing where it's like, oh, that wizard. He's a good guy. He was just 
being a, kind of a weirdo. He's just a stage magician. They just call him like, yeah, he's a humbug wizard. He, he's a humbug. His greatest crime was pretending to be an actual wizard in Oz. That's the point when he's like, look, I have the longest, stupidest name. I have so many names that my initials spell Oz Pinhead. It really does. It's Oscar Orster Diggs something, 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 something. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I should look it up. I should look it up. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, it is without all the middle shit. Oscar Diggs. Oscar Zorister, Fadrig Isaac Norman Hinkle Emmanuel Ambrose Diggs, <laughs> or Oz Pinhead. <laughs> okay, so some of those are just, I don't know what name starts with this letter, I'm gonna make one up. Zorister is an extremely common name, I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the wizard's backstory now, is that his initials had Oz in them, so people were like, you should be in charge. And he was like, yes, and I'm definitely magic. Don't ask me any more questions about it. Well, he just like went down there and he pulled like a quarter out of someone's ear and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Put this man on the throne. <laughs> It doesn't take much. Maybe he did one of those, like, card tricks where, like, you're convinced the person is Satan. <laughs> where, like, and now your card is on the other side of the glass. And they're like, what the fuck, wizard? You just need to go in and you mind freak Oz <laughs> and they'll put you in charge. It really just seemed like Oz is a country where people are just begging to have a king. They are begging to put someone in charge. But also, this is a country where they know magic is real. Like, inherently, it's a fact. So if someone appears to be doing magic, then why wouldn't they be doing magic? It's real. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird that, you know, all of his magic spells aren't very impressive. They're mostly about, he got my nose that one time. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, did, he made his thumb appear as if it was leaving <laughs> his body. <laughs> <laughs> Which really, you'd think it would be like, oh my god, it's like he took his thumb off. And it's like, big deal! I know a guy in munchkin land that can take his whole body off. <laughs> They escape vegetable people and go to a cave. And they just have, this book just like, it, it is such a nothing to me until they get to Oz. They just kind of wander through underground caves full of assholes. Okay, but then there is a part that is truly terrifying. Tell me about it. Which is when one of the places they come to, it appears to be like an open prairie. Like it's underground, but it feels like it's outside. And there are invisible bears who will eat you. What? I don't remember this part. Yeah, they're invisible bears. They hide in a house. They're like, how do we get through this place? Because they're invisible bears outside and they want to eat us. And it's possible you blocked it out because it's truly scary. Invisible bears? Invisible bloodthirsty bears. Invisible bears that have a taste for human flesh? Or any flesh, I guess. Yeah, they do want to eat the kitten too, don't they? Yeah, they want to eat everything. So eventually, there's like, Jim, my friend, my bro horse, you gotta book it, buddy. They book it across the prairie, reaching for another cave, while being hounded by invisible bears. Why, L. Frank Baum? I feel like making the bears invisible actually loses something when it comes to the terror of bears. Oh, no, I'm fucking terrified. Of you don't know if that bear is sitting right next to you. Yeah, you pretty much have to rely on breathing alone, and a horse cart makes so much noise. Imagine you hear the heavy breathing of a bloodthirsty bear, but you turn around and it's not there, but you can still hear it. In the dark in a cave. 
No, this is out in the open prairie. Oh, this is- That's somehow underground. That's also a cave. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It's a thing. So it's like you're you're going through like, I don't know, tall grasses or something and you just see like the grasses part. Kind of. It's kind of like if you go to a Disney theme park and like you're in an indoor space, but they put like a thick sky on the ceiling and you're like, oh, ah. I'm outdoors. It's kind of like that. <laughs> okay. 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 And then they go into a cave with wooden gargoyles who also want to kill them. I feel like all the water that the gargoyles are taking in the downspatter is really going to erode that wood away pretty bad. Yeah. But it is important to note that Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz is ultimately kind of a horror book. There's nowhere that they travel in which the residents do not want to kill them. The vegetable people want to chop them up and plant them. And it starts with her plummeting out of a famously awful earthquake. Yes. Like, this could just be hell. Hmm. They maybe died, actually. Earthquake and fire, I feel I should point out. Yeah, earthquake and fire. Yeah. Like, one of the things the earthquake knocked over was a whole bunch of flammable stuff. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this also does play into the Oz's reel, because Bomb technically writes his books after Dorothy tells them about him. So, if this book came out in 1908 then this is Dorothy relaying a story that happened to her previously, which would have been in 1906. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You just imagine Dorothy, this little blonde girl, who, by the way, just has like the short blonde bob at this point. And she's always incredibly fashionable, weirdly enough. Absolutely. You imagine she's just like knocking back a shot, leans over the table to bomb, and is like, all right, listen to this shit. Yeah. Invisible bears. <laughs> you heard about that fucking earthquake? Oh boy, have I got a story for you. <laughs> Everything wants to kill them. Like, it's not a pleasant journey. And that's why actually a lot of people do not like this book. Because it's so, like, there is no point at which there is, like, respite from their harrowing journey of death. See. The reason that I dislike this one is mostly because of the trial at the end. Yeah, that's the upsetting part. So they're on the run from the fucking wooden gargoyles. And they follow another cave because they're like, it's fine. All the caves have led us to somewhere else. But they hit a dead end and it's pitch fucking black. And they're like, oh, cool. We're going to die now. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, right, right. And then Dorothy... Who could have done this at any time, I think. Because Ozma literally never stops looking at that picture. I don't care what <laughs> yeah. she says. Dorothy's like, oh, right. My girlfriend gave me her phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and Dorothy's like, oh, right. We went through all that shit. I could have done this at any time. And she makes the little sign that she and Ozma worked out to be like, hey, I know you're watching me. Please take me away. We're definitely about to die. It's a booty call, but also I'm bringing my cousin. <laughs> and also that wizard that tried to usurp your throne for a while. <laughs> also the guy who kidnapped you as a baby. I hope that's not a problem. We can talk about it. Immediately, Ozma whisks them away to Oz, and they have a party. They have a party, because Dorothy's back. It's great. Because <laughs> Dorothy's back, and Ozma's like, my girlfriend's here, it's time to show off! <laughs> <laughs> the wizard introduces us to, I guess it was earlier in the book, he's got these seven tiny piglets. Right, he has seven miniature piglets. Because he's a humbug wizard, and it's, it's kind of like his doves, you know, where like he keeps them in a top hat or whatever. 
He's just got like baby pigs like on top of his head at all times. Yeah, and the scam is that he's like, I'll make one pig become seven pigs. And like he's a sleight of hand to make the pig quote unquote duplicate because he's an illusionist, Michael. <laughs> Which I guess that one's actually, you know, sleight of hand creating infinite piglets is more impressive than, than you know. It's a dope trick. Pulling a coin out from behind your ear. It's a little more complicated. A street magician with like one of those folding tables was like, check out this. I'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> baby pigs. Baby pigs. At that point, Ozma's like, oh, okay, all is forgiven. You've got baby pigs. The weird thing with the wizard is that all the citizens of the Emerald City are like, Look, we know he kind of like usurped your throne for a while, but he was actually kind of a good ruler. We like the wizard, actually. <laughs> They're just like, well, I know he was a child kidnapper, but like, come on. Yeah, basically everyone at Oz is like, the wizard's actually a pretty chill dude. Can we keep him? <laughs> <laughs> And instead, there is a trial in this book, but instead of like putting the wizard on trial for his crimes, they put a cat on trial. For, for maybe, maybe eating, eating something. something. This is a whole thing that does not matter. It's so long. It's so involved. They think the cat ate, I don't know, a, a one of the piglets? It was Ozma's favorite pig because the wizard gifted a pig to Ozma as like a sorry I tried to kidnap you present. <laughs> and had like a little green bow on it. And they think the kitten ate it. So they put the cat on trial. While this kitten does talk... This is just still a kitten, and it lasts forever. For ever. Like, he ran out of book, and he's like, okay. <laughs> this kitten needs to answer for her crimes. Anyway, the kitten's found innocent, they find the pig. But the wizard wants to stay in Oz, because everyone likes him. Even though he usurped a throne, the, everyone's like, hey, we like the wizard. He was still technically a good king. We're just mad that he lied about being a real wizard. And so Glinda's like, I will take him as my apprentice so that he will no longer be a humbug <laughs> wizard. I will teach him actual magic tricks. There's also this lavish illustration I found of Ozma and Dorothy just being, you know, best friends. Yeah, I'm looking at this. It's very Art Nouveau. It's very homoerotic. It's a lot. We've actually gone this entire time without mentioning John Arneal. Oh, yeah. Who illustrated every Oz book, literally every single Oz book, all 40 of them, except for the first book. It's really starting with this book that his more hyper-realistic kind of like style enters the picture. Dorothy is always like in the most fashionable like children's clothing of the day. And like everything looks fucking gorgeous. It's all golden and lush and he loves painting fabric. Yeah, I would kill a bitch to get original John Arneal art. <laughs> This is a very small sampling here in our document, but there's a new John Arneal illustration like every 10 pages and they're all beautiful. Like he doesn't miss. They're all like this. And anytime he gets a chance to illustrate like even just like a pencil sketch of like Dorothy and Ozma just like in a beautiful garden, mm. just with their heads close yeah. together, just, yeah. just being Gals, pals. Most of them are these gorgeous pen and ink drawings. Every book also has like more or less eight what they call color plates, which are like the full paintings. Like there are some omnibuses that they're selling that are just like that have books in them, but they don't have any of the illustrations and it is such a crime. I think that if you have read these books without the illustrations, you have genuinely missed like fully half the book. They add so much. And I grew up with like the Delray paperbacks. Which still included them, although printed very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Okay, so like Dorothy goes home at the end of this one. She doesn't want to leave her aunt and uncle. So yeah, she still goes home again. She leaves her girlfriend, the co-princess of Oz. Just pals. Just pals. You know what? And it's for the best because once you're in Oz, you don't age. And Ozma needs Dorothy to grow up a little bit more. <laughs> Ozma's just like slightly too old at this point. She's like, you just you just go back. You just, you just grow up a little. It varies wildly, but the impression one gets is that Ozma is like maybe 16 or like physically 16. Is she is still a girl king's girl empress, girl princess, so it's it's very unclear. She's drawn really young, like in Ozma and Oz, she's basically Dorothy's height, she looks like a little kid. Like John Arneal's art ages her up as the books go on, and I assume that's just like fairy magic, I don't know, making her an adult before she stops. <laughs> I don't know. But eventually she looks like a teenager, like a late teenager. But Dorothy still stays young, so problematic. <laughs> Just, you know, just... Just friends. Just friends. You just go home. You go home to your aunt and uncle, and I'll just... I'll just keep an eye out. Go home to America where you can spend, you know, like a decade, and then you'll come back and we'll both be hot. And meanwhile, I'm just going to gaze into this mirror. <laughs> just looking at a mirror <laughs> at your very good friend. <laughs> <laughs> just your daily Dorothy hour. <laughs> Just your your hour, your scheduled hour of intense sapphic yearning. <laughs> but then she meets a bum. <laughs> right. So then we get to the road to Oz, which starts out with the enchanting aspect of Dorothy meets a homeless man. Okay. But he's like a cartoon homeless man. So he's not like a bindle. Oh, God. This is a guy who, if he smelled a delicious pie cooling on a windowsill, he would float through the air towards it. He's got, like, one of those hats where, like, the top is kind of popped out. <laughs> and here's the thing about the shaggy man, as he is known. He has a magic item that makes you love him. Mm, boy, does he. We should also mention the shaggy man is a shaggy man because all his clothes are shaggy. But, like, he likes it that way. Yeah. He's like, no, I like that my clothes are all torn up and that my beard is crazy. He's a folksy old fella. Yeah, he's the kind of hobo where, like, it was still vaguely romantic to have a hobo around. They ride the rails and shit. <laughs> we are swiftly approaching the Great Depression here. Yeah, this should be 1909. So that's on the horizon. So Dorothy's just like hanging out outside her house in Kansas and a cartoon hobo shows up and he's like, can you escort me to the next town over? And Dorothy's like, yeah, okay. I'm a child. I can wander off with a stranger. It's 1909. This is fine. It's fine. It's fine. Come on, Toto. And then they come up to like a fork in the road where there's like seven different roads. And then she's like, ah, she picks one. And then it just like she's just slammed right back into fairyland bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's really like, wait, I've lived here a very long time. Why are there seven fucking roads? <laughs> and so they go along. The shaggy man is now her new sidekick for this one. And of course, she's got to pick up some other assholes. So we meet a horrible child named Button Bright. I hate him so much. He's a sweet boy. He just forgot everything. Button Bright is a dumb little baby in a sailor suit. He really is. He is in a little sailor suit because he comes from a wealthy family who does not look after him. He's one of those children. <laughs> He's a fancy lad who has been allowed to get a ladyfinger blizzard. He definitely, like, back home, it's implied he's got, like, that father that's quote-unquote always at the office and, like... The mother that's probably, like, into three martinis before noon. Good for her. This is, like, the future of the baby from The Great Gatsby. 
But he is wandering around here through a fairyland connected to Kansas. He just got lost and he doesn't know why or how. (laughs) So he's just like a baby that Dorothy has to take care of now. Pretty much, because Dorothy is now old enough to take care of a slightly younger child. And then we also meet the third asshole in this book, which is Polychrome the Rainbow's daughter. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Polychrome the Rainbow's daughter is one of my favorite characters. (laughs) Okay, okay, go ahead, take the floor. Tell me why you love Polychrome the Rainbow's daughter. She just wants to dance. (laughs) Polychrome the Rainbow's daughter is literally the daughter of the rainbow. She's got a bunch of sisters that are also the rainbow. They come down to Earth every once in a while to drink dewdrops. That's how they subsist. But Polychrome danced off the rainbow, got some dewdrops, rainbow disappeared. (laughs) Which, like, if you're the rainbow and you left your daughter behind, what the hell? Like, Polychrome's dad took her and all of her sisters to the Walmart and then (laughs) forgot to get all seven back into the minivan. Polychrome is home alone. So, I mean, she is, like... A flighty girl princess that just wants to prance around and drink two dots. But I love that about her. (laughs) (laughs) I will say she is unapologetic about who she is. Also, in Sky Island, which will happen five years from now, she becomes a lawyer. What? Yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, sure. Sure, yeah. That's in a Tron Captain Bill book. She comes back. Button Bright also comes back. Mm. You would theoretically hate that book, even though I love it. (laughs) polychrome comes back because trot and captain bill these other characters they get captured by government and like are imprisoned because they broke quote unquote the law and then polychrome the rainbow's daughter like rolls in and suddenly has like an encyclopedic knowledge of this country's law (laughs) and like gets them off polychrome the rainbow's daughter attorney at law yes what like it's hard okay you know what i can get behind that does she make her case in interpretive dance maybe it's been a while (laughs) (laughs) i would not be surprised okay so dorothy's got these chuckos in tow and she eventually figures out that she's like oh this is some fairy tale shit oh my girlfriend's birthday is coming up (laughs) and to be clear this is the only way ozma knows to get her to oz Is having a weird bullshit journey. Whatever happened to the insta-teleport from the last one? You can't just directly go there. <laughs> she forgot. <laughs> she just forgot. She's too gay. <laughs> Sometimes that happens when you're too gay. Sometimes you just get too gay and you forget things. During your hourly sapphic yearning. <laughs> so Dorothy has to go on a little fairy tale adventure through a whole bunch of, like, silly little things, again, because that's the only way that you can exist in these books, is you go through silly little vignettes. I just want to make sure that everyone knows that at some point she does meet a character named King Kickabray, who rules over Dunkerton. <laughs> He's a donkey. He's a donkey. And he makes the shaggy man have a donkey head because it's the most... This is the thing about the love magnet that we learn... Is that it makes people love you, but it's like a curse. Because the King Kickerbray loves the Shaggy Man so much that it gives him a donkey head because he thinks that's the most beautiful thing a person could be. <laughs> we should probably point out, this is probably not like some kind of homage to a Midsummer Night's Dream. This is just a donkey. It's just a donkey. One of the most problematic elements of this book, but also technically my favorite quote in the history of the Oz books, happens when they encounter a tribe of... Mm, 
quote-unquote savages. They're like cannibals. And they're like, we're gonna eat you. We're gonna make you into soup. And the shaggy man, like, holds up his magnet and he's like, but don't you love me? And all the cannibals are like, we love you in soup. There's a lot of room for interpretation in that particular expression of affection. (laughs) So I spent most of my life talking about how I love things in soup. (laughs) Is what happened. (laughs) So eventually they get to Oz in time for the birthday party and you'll never believe it there's another party there's another long party sequence the point of this one was a party yeah and this is also where it becomes like the Oz cinematic universe because like okay 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 Wikipedia actually listed out the guests for this party so I'm gonna go down this list and you have to understand that every single one of these characters gets their own entrance oh yeah in bubbles in bubbles like, they are all announced individually. <laughs> this happens in real time. Oh, I know. They leave in bubbles. They come alone. <laughs> Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, the Cowardly Lion, the Wizard of Oz, Jack Pumpkinhead, the Sawhorse, TikTok, Belina, Jellia Jam, the Wogglebug, the Hungry Tiger, the Good Witch of the North, whose name is what again? That would be Taddy Poo. Taddy Poo! That comes later. The Shaggy Man, <laughs> Button Bright, Polychrome, and all of the assorted characters from other books that you should buy, like Santa Claus. Yeah. He brings a retinue from the Forest of Bursey, Queen Zixie of Ix, the Queen of Maryland, Four Wooden Soldiers, the Candyman from Maryland, the Braided Man from Boboland's Pyramid Mountain, the Queen of Ev, King Evoldo, his nine siblings from the Land of Ed, Ev, King Bud and Princess Fluff from Noland, and John Doe, Chick the Cherub, Papa Bruin the Rubber Bear from Highland and Lowland, as well as invitations to King Docs, King Kickabray, and Johnny Do It. Princess Ozma could not procure an invitation for the musicer due to a chance that his uncontrollable vocal tick might arouse violence against him. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to focus in on Santa Claus for a second. Okay, Santa Claus is a bigger discussion. You're not going to talk about John Doe and Chick the Cherub? I do not know John Doe and Chick the Cherub. Chick the Cherub is non-binary. Ooh, okay. They are genderless. No one knows what they are because they're not either. Spectacular. Anyway, Santa Claus. (laughs) Okay, Santa Claus. You may be familiar with one of the last stop motion animation bits from Rankin Bass, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. That's based on an L. Frank Baum book. They also made an animated adaptation years and years and years later. This is L. Frank Baum's own Santa Claus. And at some point while he is being announced, he talks about his adventures in his book, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. And it's like, and you should definitely read more about it. And it's extremely important to note that L. Frank Baum's Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is like... It's bananas. It is related to nothing from actual, say, traditional like American mythology of Santa Claus. It's completely... There are some name drops, just some name drops of like Niklaus and Saint and that's it. It is completely apeshit, yeah. It is off the wall. It is divorced from any Santa canon. He lives in the Laughing Valley, which is definitely not the North Pole. It's like south of Oz, actually. He was raised by a fairy and a lioness. Yeah, named Lurleen. Yeah. And Nacelle. I know these things. (laughs) He is granted immortality by a council of forest spirits. 
They're basically ants. Yeah. <laughs> They're like tree people. Yeah. <laughs> that was just wild. And I love that it's in there because it's like, we should all read that book. And like so many of these other characters are people from like other books that he has written. And they're like, you should read these too. There's other things besides Oz, but maybe they're part of Oz and maybe your characters will show up in them. They won't, but maybe you should read them. Desperate attempt to create the dark universe. (laughs) You should read Queen's ZFX. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that everything is connected as an author of things delights me because that's how I consider everything in my head. It's just you don't always canonize it to such an absurd degree. Yeah, you don't have a party where everyone from your other books marches in to announce themselves and their book. This is kind of like how everyone sort of knows that most Stephen King books are kind of connected. It's a very busy Maine in Stephen King's world. Yeah, when Stephen King finally dies, you have an hour and 45 minutes to get out of Maine before the state (laughs) (laughs) self-destructs. Yeah, but Santa Claus is there. Specifically, L. Frank Baum Santa Claus, although he is canonically of this world, like the Santa Claus that, you know, delivers presents and shit. Yeah, this isn't quite the, like, Santa Claus comes to visit the Pennessee children and the Pevensey children and give them their Christmas presents of weapons. <laughs> yeah, Santa Claus does not live in a North Pole here. No, he gets a tour of Oz. Maybe he will, though. Maybe he creates, like, an ancillary like, North Pole shop later. (laughs) That feels right. This does take place in, like, 1909. Believe it or not, Santa Claus mythology was actually not really hammered down for a while. So this is the point in which everybody comes to Ozma's birthday party. Dorothy is, of course, the guest of honor. She and Ozma, I have this illustration of them just, you know, kissing. What? No, they're just, they're, like, kissing. They're, they're, yeah, they're just, it's, you know, they're just kiss each other and it not be gay. It was gay. It was very gay. This is, this is. (laughs) Sometimes girls just want to rub noses. Sometimes girls just want to purse their lips and place them next to each other and just shut their eyes, their eyelashes fluttering in a straight way. You know, in a completely heterosexual manner. Boy, that's. Completely heterosexual. Whew. Boy, that's something. Boy, they're gay. Boy, they're really gay. Boy, they're so gay. They're super gay. Anytime Dorothy shows up, Ozma's just like, shut everything down. Hello, Dorothy. They're like, Ozma, we have several serious matters of state to attend to. She just throws the doors open and like, my girlfriend is here. Hello, Dorothy. Let me give you a tour. Let me give you a bath. Let me just scrub your back. Let me just, you know, dress you up in the most lovely outfits we can match. Let's hold hands and sit right next to each other. Look, I, I, I pushed our thrones together. <laughs> and it's also important to note that Dorothy has a suite in the palace that she doesn't live in pretty much ever, but yeah. it exists. And like another book later down the line, it will be pointed out that Dorothy is the only person who's allowed to go visit Ozma in her bedroom. Yeah, she's what you call like the walk-in privileges. Anytime she wants. Usually if like you're the president, it's like the first lady and the chief of staff have walk-in privileges. It's just Dorothy. 
Dorothy has walking <laughs> privileges. Okay, so bit of a tangent here. Ever since the Sandman TV show came out, they were like, it was Dream of the Endless fucking. And they came to the conclusion that he was fucking his immortal friend, Hob Gadling. And I'm starting to realize what exactly a lot of that fanfic is drawing on in terms of how the dreaming responds to Hob Gadling. <laughs> and it's also fair to say that Neil Gaiman himself is oh yeah very familiar with at least several Oz books. Yeah, a game of you just very <laughs> strongly implies that there, there's a part of the dreaming that was at one point Oz. <laughs> As happens. You know, Oz just kind of pops in and out of existence. It's, it's, it's fine. It's around. It's extremely around. It's also in the world of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> Everything's in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That is technically true, so that's not really an accomplishment. <laughs> All right, so, like, Dorothy goes home again, and at this point, she's like, why do I keep going back? <laughs> it's like, my long-distance girlfriend is in another country. I am co-princess of a magical fairyland where no one dies. Why do I keep going back to Kansas? <laughs> to what is really a dump. Because... In the next book, this is the last book of the original six, The Emerald City of Oz, we find out that not only have Uncle Henry and Anna been through some shit, but also after the tornado destroyed their farmhouse in the first book, Henry went into massive debt. Oh, God. <laughs> he cannot possibly pay the mortgage. They will be homeless. And they're like, well, we're both kind of old. We're probably going to die. What do we do about Dorothy, who just keeps talking about this magical made-up fairyland and her fake girlfriend from Canada? <laughs> It's also important to note that that tornado did not destroy their farmhouse. It flew it to another country. <laughs> it's just gone. Like, they got out after that tornado and were like, where did our house go? Why is there not a house anymore? I guess we're going to have to import a lot of lumber to the middle of the Ozarks. <laughs> But yeah, Henry is in deep debt to the creditors. They are going to be homeless in the middle of Kansas. It is not going well. And Dorothy's like, why don't we just move in with my girlfriend, the magical fairy princess? <laughs> How well do they take this? They still think she's crazy pants. But Dorothy makes her little sign and suddenly they're in another kingdom. Oh, so she remembered. Yeah, she remembered. And also Ozma was just watching this whole conversation. So she didn't even need like context to know, take the whole fam. So Ozma forgot the instant teleport for a book. And then... Yeah. Yeah. And also with zero preparation. It's not like they're like, okay, Aunt Henry and Aunt M, you better pack. We're going to Oz. Because, you know, meanwhile, Ozma has been figuring out, like, the logistics of this pretty much since day one of figuring out how to move her girlfriend in. <laughs> that was always endgame, for sure. There's just basically a stand and go, no-go order on moving <laughs> Dorothy in. Like, they're ready to go the moment she arrives. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be her decision. She has to decide this herself, but also everyone is prepped on what to do the instant Dorothy wants to move to the magical immortal fairyland forever and be my girlfriend forever. Oh yeah, that's a code gingham. <laughs> oh shit. Dorothy makes the sign, the whole family is whisked away to Oz, where Ozma once again throws open the door and basically is like, hello, new in-laws. <laughs> Welcome to my kingdom. Let's get you some fancy green outfits and take you on a tour. 
at this point, you have to believe that they think they're dead. <laughs> they have to believe that they just died instantly. And now they're having that weird fever dream you have between life and death, where like your brain works overdrive for like 20 years. And here comes this gay trans princess in a diaphanous gown with poppies on her head, introducing herself and telling them that she owns everything. And also it's a square country and a desert you can never cross. Otherwise you will die. That is the only way you will die. Do yeah. not do it. Unless you're wearing really, really thick soled shoes, then you're fine. Yes. Or like skis. Would you like to meet the gump? I made him. He wants to die. (laughs) (laughs) So does Uncle Henry, probably. (laughs) So Uncle Henry and Aunt Em, they kind of take this well, honestly. But this entire book, it's the opposite of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz in that they go on a tour in which nothing happens. (laughs) No, because this is all killing time until the main plot happens, because we cut to the Gnome King from book three. God damn it. He's back. He's raising an army. He's sworn revenge. And it goes through this whole, like, cutting back to him, which is honestly something that, like, these books have not really done. Usually they just pick a protagonist and go. Yeah. And this one actually cuts back to the Gnome King several times as he is, like, wanting to talk to a bunch of bad guys about the evil Avengers initiative. Yeah, he makes a Legion of Doom. Yeah. And he starts his guys on digging a tunnel under the deadly desert, which I guess just stops at some point. Yeah, because you can't walk on top of it, but, like, all that deadly sand is presumably on top of, like, bedrock. (laughs) And I want to just go down a list that Wikipedia's provided of some of the people that Dorothy and Henry and M encounter in their little tour of Oz that they never see again and have never showed up before. Their terrible little tour involves the living cutout paper dolls created by an immortal called Miss Cut and Clip, the anthropomorphic jigsaw puzzles known as the Fuddles, mm-hmm. the loquacious rigmaroles, the paranoid flutter budgets, the living kitchen utensils of Utensia, the anthropomorphic pastries of Bunbury, <laughs> the civilized rabbits of Bunnybury, and a zebra who holds geographical disputes with a soft-shelled crab. And it's important several of these are existentially worrying. And they are so <laughs> concerning. Yeah, the sentient pastries has me concerned. The puzzle people, if they break, you have to put them back together again, which is a problem. They can't put themselves back together. No, and the paper doll people can get blown away. So there's a giant wall around them that's like a windbreaker. <laughs> It is a series of extremely concerning villages that Dorothy and her aunt and uncle just, like, bumble through and mess something up. They are the worst tourists. And again, it's just like, here's another weird little part of Oz that we're never going to talk about again. And Dorothy's like, I'm going to live here forever and so will you. (laughs) I'm in charge of this. And they're like, cool, this is terrifying. And they're just like, you have to imagine Henry and Em are just like, are you sure we're dead or not like are we are we dead is this a fever dream i'm having right before death i just saw a little paper person get swept away and scream for the loss of his loved ones (laughs) it's fine anyway evil army is happening back home yeah osma gets news of this and is unconcerned (laughs) it's a whole army and osma just does not give a shit my good friend mary ness is a writer. She does a lot of things for tour. 
and she did reviews of every single, like all 40 canonical Oz books for tour. And she coined a phrase that she likes to call Ozma fail, <laughs> which is Ozma being literally the worst ruler in the world. And this is exhibit A of Ozma fail. <laughs> She knows an army is coming and gives zero fucks. She's too busy being gay. She's too gay to worry about it. <laughs> She's too gay to be in charge. What ends up happening is that this army does arrive in Oz in the middle of the Emerald City. What they do is they blow up some dust in the tunnel so everybody gets really thirsty. And oh, what's this? It turns out that their tunnel just came up right next to the Fountain of Oblivion. Uh... <laughs> Would your notes say, what the fuck, actually? And <laughs> no, for real, what the fuck, actually? This is something that just shows up now. Yeah. It is a fountain. It blows out your entire mind. It removes all of your memories. It identity murders you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not it's not like a portal to like the Elder Scrolls realm of oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, but no. No, it's not just that it makes you forget everything. It's that your identity is wiped off like the face of Oz. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. You are an empty vessel. So everybody's really thirsty and there's a fountain right there. All of the evil people basically get fountain executed. Except for the Gnome King. And the Gnome King is like, uh-uh. No, no, I don't trust that. No way. No way. No way. So he gets thrown in the fountain. Jesus Christ. One has to imagine they push his head under. <laughs> you gotta make him drink, I assume. You gotta make him drink. So uh, the Gnome King gets waterboarded in the Fountain of Oblivion? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But he's fine because he doesn't remember. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing is that like this whole book, they're all like, well, we don't condone violence. We don't want to go to war. We don't want to be violent. They are a pacifist nation. That's why their army disbanded and they only have a single private left. But we will completely eradicate your identity. Hooray. It's not technically murder. It is an emotional death. It is an intellectual death, but it's not technically killing you. But they just like march everyone back in the hole. They're like, hey, you guys are actually kings of stuff. So you should go be good kings of stuff. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Which is stone cold, y'all. It's very troubling. <laughs> <laughs> and they've just got a fountain that does this. It's just in, the, in like one of the gardens. Why does this exist? <laughs> it's rumored. I think I saw a thing that said at some point Glinda like indicates that maybe she used this once with an evil prior king of Oz, which is again deeply troubling. Hmm. Yes. Glinda, the actual ruler of Oz, does many deeply troubling things over time. <laughs> because Glinda is like... Glinda's the shadow queen. She's the shadow queen. She's like Oz's mom that knows best. She goes to Princess Oz where she's like, yes, dear, you're the ruler of Oz. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically how they stop this whole army thing. And eventually they're like, well, that was a fun tour, but... There's too many people coming into Oz. Let's wall off the entire continent now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. They make the continent invisible. That's enough. That's enough. We don't need any more. The, the impassable desert was not a sufficient measure. <laughs> Apparently not, because some dudes just dug underneath it. <laughs> the reasoning is that Glenda's like, hey, people have radios now, and I think they're building flying machines, and... 
We should probably hide from those. They're going to be able to just see us from wherever. Yeah, you don't want like a 747 buzzing Oz. We don't want that in our airspace. (laughs) Gumps only. Gumps only airspace. (laughs) God, can you imagine flying a plane like you're flying an airliner and you just almost get hit by a a bunch of couches with a moose head and some palm front They make everything invisible, but it's still there. You could hit it. <laughs> like a bird flying into a glass door. <laughs> so they do this, and this is now walled off forever, ostensibly. There's even like a little afterward where L. Frank Baum, the historian of Oz, is like, and that's the end of the Oz books. Until I need money. Like Dorothy said, she's not going to send me anything else. So I guess that must be it. That's it. <laughs> Go home, everybody. Everybody did not go home. (laughs) No. The postscript to this is that he wrote The Sea Fairies, which is about Trot and Captain Bill as completely divorced from everything. And then he wrote Sky Island, which as a compromise also features Button Bright and Polychrome to tie it in. And he's like, that's fine. Those are everyone's favorite characters. (laughs) Says the guy who wrote a musical centered around the Wogglebug. Yeah. So that didn't work. (laughs) So (laughs) after those two books, he had to come back. Yeah. His publishers were just like tapping their watches, being like, where's the next Oz? Where's the next one, Frankie? He makes a new book, Patchwork Girl of Oz, which is like still one of his best books, actually. And then... He writes the Scarecrow and Oz, which is actually just the third Trot and Captain Bill book. He just, like, decided the Scarecrow would be in it at some point. Special cameo, the Scarecrow? This is like Annabelle Comes Home, technically being like a Warren family movie. Yeah, it is completely divorced from Oz until the very end, in which Trot and Captain Bill go to Oz. Because Bomb was like, fuck it, fine. I'll change the ending of my third Trot book to just be Oz. And then he does the same thing with Rinkatink and Oz, which is... A book called King Rinkatink that he just rewrote the end to, so it'd be in Oz. <laughs> wow, he really gets by on that technicality of technically part of the book is in Oz, huh? Yeah, he literally just realizes that if you put Oz on the cover, it'll sell no matter what. Cheesy crazy. So he does that until book 14. After Trying Cat Bill, after Rinkatink, after TikTok and Oz, which is just the stage musical reinterpreted, there's like a good four books that are actually all Oz books from the jump. He really didn't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like the only thing of his that was selling. Yeah, like he needed money. Dude was hustling. Authors didn't get massive bonuses or whatever back then. He just kept like shoveling stuff into the Oz fires because it kept like, oh man, it kept the lights on. Yeah, he needed money. His publishers needed money. He was writing books under pseudonyms. So like, Theoretically, in one year, Bomb could put out like five books with different names. Because like he was just a working writer trying to get by. He kept wanting to make more stage musicals that didn't do very well. It's, it's the Mark Twain problem in which, yes, his books probably made money, but he dumped the money into Foolish Ventures. Yeah. Eventually, L. Frank Baum passes away. He has two books that were published posthumously that were like partially completed. I don't know exactly how far along those drafts were. They were completely done. Okay. He was working very far ahead with his publisher. But yeah, Magic of Oz and Glinda of Oz. Magic of Oz is released like right after he dies. Like that was already prepped ready to go. Glinda was like his final manuscript that was more or less done. There's some debate about whether anyone had to finish parts of it, but most people are pretty sure he wrote it all. And that's the point when they designate a new writer to keep going. 
Yeah, Ruth Plumley Thompson, who sucks. <laughs> I like that that sounds like the full title. Ruth Holman Thompson, who sucks. Yes. Continuing the famous stories of Frank Baum. She's a woman which you think would be like, cool, she's going to write more of these like girl stories. But she's a weirdly conservative woman. So like all of her stories star boys now. Hmm. Because she only cares about boys adventures. Lots of European fairy tale stuff starts to appearing. Like knights, hmm. castles, that shit. Like romance starts appearing. Hmm. Occasionally there's slavery. More than occasionally there's racism. Hmm. She's not all bad. She wrote some good stuff, but it's... But it's not really the trans-lesbian princess of Oz, is it? <laughs> it's completely divorced. Like, I mean, obviously, it's theoretically canonical, so I guess it continues them. But if you only read the Bomb books, you'd be fine. Because her books are just so problematic, and you don't get... Like, there's just a lot more to digest with it. Like, what more excuses you have to make. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it doesn't have, you know, all the gay shit in it. Which I feel like is what a lot of these adaptations just sort of miss the point on, is that... You feel the loss of the gay shit. Yeah. But it is worth noting, when she leaves, John O'Neill writes a couple of books that go back to girl protagonists that are technically awful. Like, they're not good books, but I love them, because they're insane. Because <laughs> he's not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's just like a fever dream in there, huh? It really is. It's about Jenny Jump, who journeys to the land of Oz and is like a, a terrible shrew of a woman that annoys everybody. <laughs> Jackie Jump Jump? <laughs> She's called Jenny Jump because she can jump very high. And eventually she jumps so high she lands in Oz. Don't ask questions. Obviously. <laughs> he also creates the Scallywagons of Oz, which is about living cars. Like, the wizard invents the car, but they're alive. Like cars, like Lightning McQueen. <laughs> like cars. The Wizard of Oz invents cars, Pixar's cars. The wizard. The wizard himself. He builds a factory and makes cars from cars. I don't know if I feel good about him building a factory in Oz. No, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sapient vehicles. Yeah, so those are bad books, but... They're highly entertaining bad books. Fair enough. Um, and then it's picked up by a couple of female authors whose name slips in minds, but they're actually well-regarded book. Rachel Cosgrove of Pays and... Ah, oh, shit, I feel bad now. But that's only for like two more books. They're well-regarded as like a change of pace. And then it kind of lays dormant. Jack Snow tries to pick it up. And Jack Snow is a gay man in the 1950s. Okay. Which is unfortunate. He doesn't live long. Oh, yeah. But being a gay man in the 1950s is, like, really the start of where the gays start writing Oz. Where, like, yes, the Bond books were gay, but now, like, actual gay people are just gonna own this now. <laughs> After Jack Snow, like, it really peters out for a while. It's kind of taken over by a fan community, which he basically started. Today, like, obviously lots of people are still making Oz books. Some of them are pretty good. Kind of like the foremost, like, Oz author of the past, like, 40 years has been Eric Schenauer, who is also gay. Because if it's the late 20th or early 21st century, if you like Oz, you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how this works. That's how it works. You're gay or you're trans or you're gay and trans. <laughs> it's literally how it works. It's I can't explain it. I mean, I guess I can't explain it. You've read those books. <laughs> but there's Oz conventions and they're basically pride. Spectacular. Highly recommend anything Eric Shanhauer has been involved with, actually. He's a fantastic artist. He's also done stuff for, like, Marvel and DC. <laughs> and then things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So those are all of the like Oz books. And then you actually have sort of the separate category of the people that just sort of make like retellings of Oz that all of them just kind of miss the mark. They're all really, really heterosexual and edgy. Yeah, they read the first book or like just watched the movie. And that's only Oz that exists. I mean, we have like Disney's Oz the Great and Powerful, the one who is just about James Franco. I had hope for that movie. Oh, but it just made it like, what if the witches just didn't do anything until James Franco showed up and the Wicked Witch was motivated by feeling romance feelings for James Franco? I was like, Sam Raimi, why did you do this to me? This is a personal betrayal. Zach Braff, the CGI monkey. I was on his side. I was like, (laughs) you know what? A Wizard of Oz prequel showing about how this con man takes over a city could actually be cool. Mm -hmm. It was not. It was not. No. Ron Howard voice. It was not. (laughs) Then you've got, you know, Tin Man, which was this dystopic steampunk, not your daddy's Wizard of Oz. Yeah, they're all dystopic at this point, actually. Yeah. Everything's dark and edgy. Zoe Deschanel was in it. That's all I remember about Tin Man. Zoe Deschanel was very much in it. She was she was so in Tin Man. Every subsequent Oz project is what if Oz, but dark. Yeah. I just feel like the worst offender is Wicked, which prefacing the musical is a banger. The musical is a lot of fun. The book is fucked up. The book is real fucked up. It's so fucked up. I read four chapters of it and stopped because <laughs> it was so bad. I read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. The only thing I know about Wicked the book is someone's claim that it's basically the Oz version of that like Loki Apologia fanfic you see all over the place. I, I don't, don't know. know that. As in the Loki did nothing wrong fanfic. Uh... Okay, whatever. Here's the thing about 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 the Wizard of Oz. First of all, it turns out Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West, yeah. is the product of the wizard sexually assaulting her mother. Okay. Yep. And so that's why she's born green because of also the drugs that the wizard used on her mom. At some point, Elphaba gets a sister, Nessa Rose, who is born without arms, who is also the product of an affair, I guess. And she uses magical silver shoes to maintain her balance. Elphaba and later her sister go to a boarding school where they're manipulating to being political pawns to help the wizard maintain control over the politics of Oz. Elphaba has an affair with a married man with jewels all over his skin named Fierro. Cannot emphasize enough how much I hate this. (laughs) Bach, a munchkin that Dorothy met in the first book, is a main character who's in love with Galinda, who eventually shortens her name to Glinda, and they all get involved- Because Galinda sounds dumb. Because Galinda sounds dumb, and they all get involved in, like, a political uprising- fighting for the civil rights of animals with a capital A who are all like sapient and treated like livestock. She tries to murder her boarding school teacher. Eventually the wizard is a corrupt political administrator. Uh, The witch goes to the West to meet with the family of her lover who is now dead. He was assassinated. There she starts to learn some magic. Glinda shows up a little and then like an army marches on the castle that she's in where everyone else is dead and she tries to fool herself into thinking that, oh, well, this scarecrow must be my dead 
boyfriend. And the, this tin man must be my munchkin friend, Bach. And this lion must be a talking lion that I saved from a research study in college once where he was going to be dissected live. And then Dorothy throws some water on her and she dies. And, uh... <sighs> it's bad. <laughs> so, the interesting thing is that the musical does retain some of those plot points. But it does it in a way that's like, wants you to have fun. One, it's fun. Even though the musical inserts a lot of, like, really heavy-handed kind of Bush-era allegory. Yeah. That I don't love. But, you know, Adina Menzel's in it. And Joel Grey is oh. in it. And Kristen Chitterworth is in it. And even without them, like, that musical's still playing for a reason. Because the songs are bangers. Like, most of them mm-hmm. are just straight-up good songs. Yes. And two, it learned its lesson. Wicked is gay. Yeah, Wicked figured out that it needed to be gay. The Wicked the Musical was like, all right, I see all of that. Now, how about we make this an enemies to maybe lovers with Glinda? Definitely, like, Elphaba in the musical is still like, oh, I want to have this boyfriend. But also, mm, Mm. boy, are they gay. They got Mm. chemistry just falling off the stage. It's all about (laughs) the struggle between these two women on opposing sides of an ideological conflict. Yeah, Glenda is like, oh no, I have to go with the tide before I can really fix things. But I want to fuck this green lady so bad. One of the first things they do together is they give her a makeover. It's it has all of the musical energy of that one picture of the girl straddling the other girl who is lying down doing her eyeliner. So Elphaba and Glenda are just, you know, gals being pals. Just just gal pals. Ozma does not feature into this, but No, Ozma's not there. These were the original gal pals. Yeah, this is our sapphic stand-in. Although the interesting legacy of Wicked is that this is technically like the first time the Wicked Witch of the West actually has a name. Even in like canonical Oz fandom, we've almost sort of decided, yeah, her name is Elphaba. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's really just like someone phonetically pronouncing LFB, L Frank Baum. Yeah. But I mean, it fits well enough. It is technically copyright Gregory McMire, so you can't use it. But yeah. we just kind of like, yeah, it, it, that's her name. That's fine. He doesn't deserve it anyway. <laughs> His books are bad and he should feel bad. I, I hate the Wicked books. And I just want to like honorable mention, I want to bring up one adaptation that I feel like kind of nailed Oz better than a lot of the other ones, which is Return to Oz, which is the one that everybody thinks about as being like, what is that horrible nightmare thing I saw at 2 a.m. on the Disney Channel? <laughs> Yeah, it's technically accurate to most of Ozma of Oz. Yeah. Except also terrifying. (laughs) It smushes together some parts of the second and third books. It brings in Jack Pumpkinhead. The gump is on the poster. That movie, it basically is like Dorothy washes up in Oz, not in Ev. So she like walks through Oz and discovers that it's like a crap hole now for some reason. Yeah, the Yellow Book Road has been destroyed. Oz is empty, except for a bunch of statues and also some really horrifying versions of the wheelies. Oh, yeah. So, but then she finds Pumpkinhead, TikTok, makes a gump. And once she flies in the gump, it basically becomes almost a straight adaptation of Ozma. Because then you have to get to the point where she meets up with the Gnome King and has to go through and, like, guess who all of her friends from Oz are in his garage. And what's interesting is that, like, the more that people guess, it does this cool thing where they keep making different versions of 
the Gnome King, where like at first he's like just like a rocky face. And then as someone else guesses, he gets a bit more humanity and starts becoming more like stop motion-y rather than like a clay face puppet thing. Until eventually there is one person left to guess and it's Dorothy. Everyone else is gone. And the Gnome King is almost a man. He's a guy in like a heavy makeup and stuff. It's really neat. That movie does a lot of really cool creature effects and like puppetry. Absolutely. Especially for its time, because I think it's like 87 or something is when it came out. Something like that. And the designs they use, they interpreted John Arneal's art into like the most terrifying creatures they could possibly create. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that are technically like achievements, but also... That scarecrow is haunting. It also, like, wraps it all up in a frame device that tries to, like, marry the ideas of Dorothy having a dream at the end of the 1939 movie with, like, the book stuff where Oz is just a place she went to, where, like, Dorothy keeps talking about Oz and Auntie Emma's so worried about her, she takes her to a psychiatric institute where she is going to get, like, electrocuted until she's sane again. Electroshock therapy. Definitely a real thing. Definitely a real thing. And M is trying to shock her gay away. <laughs> yeah, because like Dorothy keeps looking in reflections and seeing a mysterious, beautiful girl that she doesn't know. And like right before she's about to go to her first bout of electric shock therapy, this mysterious girl breaks her out of the facility and they both like escape, get tossed into a river and Dorothy wakes up in Oz, and then she starts seeing more reflections of this beautiful girl. They haven't even met yet, and Ozma's already creeping on her. <laughs> Ozma's already like, hello, Dorothy. I heard a lot about you. Until, like, at the very, very end, you hear, like, a couple of bits throughout this of, like, this idea that there's a conspiracy to depose the true ruler of Oz or something. But it's not until the very end that Dorothy releases Ozma from her confinement where she has been locked away inside, like, mirrors and stuff. And Ozma is immediately like, hello. Hey. Hi. 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 Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Like, 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 like. How are you? <laughs> Listen, how are you? Do you want... Like, I I like your pigtails. <laughs> do you like my kingdom? Um, do you like Do you like my kingdom? I'm in charge of this. Uh, do you... Yeah, this is like all my stuff. This is all my stuff. Do you want to... Do you, do you like it? Do you want to hang out, play some Nintendo? I've got Smash. The very important thing to know here, this is a Disney movie. Yeah, this is Walt Disney's, like, before Oz the Great and Powerful, this was their attempt to really, like, course correct, steer the ship over and be like, okay, Oz, these are all the things we can legally do. That's why it's technically so close to books, because they legally could not use anything from the musical. <laughs> like, they got away with the red slippers, but I don't think they, like, I think they had to be really careful about how they referred to them in the script. A lot of people will specifically license just that part. Yeah. And this is the Wild West of Disney when they were just making f***ing anything. And it would actually be a few years later when they teamed up with MGM. So, like, the 39 movie was in the Great Movie Ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Oh, was it ever. That's still a few years away when they're like, okay, no one liked our Oz. Let's just license their Oz instead. Oh, sorry. I'm just in the place where I'm thinking about the witch animatronic. Oh, <sighs> let's think about the great movie ride for a while. Ah, oh, the great movie ride. See you at the crossroads. <laughs> this is the part of the podcast that's just for me and Jody. We'll see you at the crossroads. <laughs> Morning until we join you, great movie ride. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> 
And this is somehow the one that ends up being the most sort of like, it's through like a nightmare fuel lens, but it still feels like it's the most accurate Oz has been on screen. It has the right vibe. It has the gay. It's got your trans princess who is incredibly gay for Dorothy. Yeah. So it does a lot of things right. Do I wish it had literally had Tip being transformed? I do. But... Imagine a movie where, like, Dorothy has to wander through Oz with with this weird boy named Tip that she just finds so compelling in a way she can't quite put her (laughs) finger on. (laughs) Nonetheless, it, like, adapts the books. Weirdly well. Weirdly well. Like, they went to the well, and it's disappointed that no one else has really done that. All right. So like, I think that brings it to everything that I think we can really get into about Oz. I did want to cap it off. I have a link in our show notes. This is just a collection someone has made of all of the Ozma and Dorothy illustrations throughout the books. And just look at these beautiful gay co-princesses. It's extremely important. It's very important. They're co-princesses. Their thrones are right next to each other so they can hold hands. Boy, they really are very close to each other. They're just such good friends. They're such good friends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you really like the Oz books and you don't think you're gay, maybe you're trans. <laughs> maybe. Look inside yourself. Discover something. What would Glinda say? <laughs> Glinda would say, are you a boy? <laughs> should we Should we talk? I feel like we should talk. <laughs> All right. I think that sort of runs us out. I think that wraps us up here. Oz is just Oz is really gay, y'all. <laughs> it's real gay, and if you like it, you are also probably gay. Probably gay, you're probably also gay. But you'll make a lot of friends. There's conventions. The Oz fandom is not heterosexual. No, they're small but plucky and gay. <laughs> Much like Dorothy and Ozma. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> All right, so that brings us around to our final facts. Kit, what is your final fact after all this? My final fact is that if the pattern holds, then the Warrior Cats movie in 30 years is going to f*** like hell. (laughs) Annie, what's your final fact? Uh, My final fact is that these funky little lesbians should just be in charge of everything. And Jody, what is your final fact? My final fact is that not only will that Warrior Cats movie whip, it'll also make everyone a furry. All right, so that's on the horizon. Everybody just start thinking about your personas now. If you don't already have one, you probably do. <laughs> the government will assign you one if you don't have one. <laughs> your persona can technically be a head attached to a couch that wants to die. Yeah. It's allowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is on the table. I've seen weirder personas. <laughs> Okay, I think that is going to do it for us. Jody, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Oz. It was really great to have you. Thank you so much for asking me to. I like to talk about the things I love. (laughs) And Jody, where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, they can find me on the bad website, at least for the next week. (laughs) At Long Tall Jody. After that, who knows? A man is buying it. You can find all my comic work at troutcave.net. If you want my off stuff specifically, like at Lipbrick, that's just at Lipbrick.com. That is going to do us for us for Oz is Gay. Join us next time when we are going to be talking about our Christmas episode, which comes in on a technicality of technically taking place at Christmas. 
we are going to be talking about Hook, y'all. It's time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I forget, do we have the phrasing for that fact yet, or should I just go with that? Maybe the fact is just bangerang. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be bangerang. Join us next time when we will be discussing Hook and what might be our fact, which is just bangerang. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we'll see how that one plays out next time. I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. It is edited by Lucas Brown of the Math of You podcast. You can find us wherever you download podcasts, wherever you just sort of look those up. You'll find us probably. You can find us on Twitter at CRC Podcasts. I am committed to making that an unprofitable endeavor <laughs> for everyone who needs to lose out on this Twitter deal. You can also find us on our website at crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. The old dot gay horse that also has links to all of our other shows like Gem Jammer and Date Me Damn It. If you want to give us money... You can do that at patreon.com slash the gem jam. For a dollar a month, you can get access to early episodes of I Will Fight You. At $5, you can get show notes, such as the one that I have showed for Kit and Jody here today. And that also gives you behind the scenes stuff for just all of our other shows. And there's some really fun stuff on there. Yeah. Bangarang. 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 We'll see you next time for Bangarang. <laughs> So until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. I'm Jody. And we have fought you. Because other fun fact about bomb that gets brushed under the that gets oh, where did my metaphor go? Brushed under the rug. Brushed under the rug. Thank you. I got a degree in English. <laughs> We all got a degree in English, except me. <laughs> you got out before the rest of us got wise. I got half a degree in English. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started doing a job that actually makes money. <laughs> ah. Oh, yeah, I do that too now. Yeah, I've got it. Oscar. Oh, go, go, go. Yeah, okay, go for it. Say this whole no, thing. No, 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 you, you. No, I dare you to say this name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it. Oh, okay. Bangarang.